I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast, Tuesday, May 16th. No Steve in the building, so that means that Brad Spielberger is going to be jumping on to help us talk uh, off-season grades. Brad, we're going to be looking at free agency, the draft, the entire off-season to date, and giving some grades out to all 32 NFL teams. How's it going, sir? It's going fantastic. How you doing? Uh-oh, I lost sound. I lost sound. Oh, no. Okay, this could be a problem. Oop, are we back? I think we're back. Talk you got me? I think we're back. We're back. We're back. We're good. We're good. Technical issues have been resolved. The loose connection in this thing is reconnected, and we're good to go. Um, yeah, so I think what we're going to do, um, there is a post-draft guide up on pff.com where you'll find all the analysis and all that kind of stuff we'll drop a link in this chat as well if you guys want to check it out it's all part of your pff plus subscription Um, but we're going to be going through alphabetically because that's the order these teams are in in the spreadsheet that i'm looking at right now and uh, we'll get into it right after i tell you that the pff nfl podcast is sponsored by western and southern financial group the great people that Uh, power of this studio the plaque on the wall the mugs we've got everywhere for coffee while you focus on your roster moves western and southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering how to make your money grow western and southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash pff all right, Brad, let's dive right into it. Alphabetically, we've got the Arizona Cardinals getting, uh, stepping up. Obviously, this is a team with a lot of kind of turnover uh, in terms of new regime. Um, how have they done, do you think? Yeah, getting off to a fun start here with the team with the lowest uh, Vegas season win total and, and the longest Super Bowl odds. But uh, I think they honestly did a great job. If you understand the assignment was not to try to win games in 2023 uh, and really try to win games in 2024 and beyond. And, you know, you're not going to accomplish that any better than getting a first and third round pick from the Houston Texans in 2024. Another third round pick from the Tennessee Titans also in 2024. Um, again, per those Vegas odds, they're slated to have picks 1, 2, 33, 65, 66, 68, I think is what it was. Wow. Um, so, hey. That's how you start things over um, and just start from scratch. I think they've done a good job long term, but they're going to be very bad this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not a it's not a short a short term building strategy that they've had, but what they've done, I think, is is a really impressive uh, result, particularly in the draft. They were one of our favorite drafts, largely because of the extra capital that they amassed, but also the players that they got once they did start drafting like they were able to trade down pick up a first round next year and get the guy that they were theoretically willing to take if they'd been stuck at number three overall so when we look at sort of favorite and least favorite moves of all these teams my favorite offseason move for the cardinals was that 
Paris Johnson Jr. Um, selection combined with the trade, like being able to get him in addition to securing a first-round pick next year, I think is as good as as good a single move as any team has made this offseason. Yeah, no, I thought I think it's a great call. I would say one that I'm going to highlight here, and it ties back into that point. But I always show to stress, you know, different moves uh, apply to teams differently. We'll probably get to the Chicago Bears, maybe talk about Jalen Carter a little bit. Same example, but here for me. Garrett Williams out of Syracuse, the corner, tore his ACL. I think he was a consensus top 50 pick. Um, you ask a lot of NFL draft analysts, and they would probably tell you that before he tore his ACL. A very good player on the outside. Can mirror you know, a receiver's ability very well. Physical up at the line. Uh, a willing tackler. All those things, yada, yada. The point is... This team, again, is not trying to contend. He might not play right away with a torn ACL. Maybe you could argue if you're another team that's trying to contend, let's say you're the Jets or something, and you have an old quarterback, you're trying to make the most of that window. Maybe for them it wouldn't make sense to take a prospect coming off a torn ACL. For Arizona, you're basically saying we're getting a discount on this player, we're comfortable enough with his medicals, and again, we're targeting 2024. Um, I think it just shows how cohesive the entire approach was. Yeah, and it's kind of reflected in when you look at their – we love their draft. We gave their draft an A-plus, Paris Johnson in the first round, uh, B.J. Ojolari in the second round, even if I was lower on him than others. Garrett Wilson, the guy you're highlighting, Michael Wilson, the Stanford wide receiver in the third round as well, who we loved. Um, Clayton Toon in the fifth round, a, a guy that could be a really good backup quarterback down the line. Like This was a very, very good draft top to bottom, but the sort of future approach – I think it was reflected in their free agency, which was, I guess, the best way of describing it is just unexciting, right? They didn't do a whole lot of, in terms of impact moves, uh, Kazir White, Kaiser White coming in, a linebacker, maybe the most short-term impactful move they made, which pretty much says it all, right? This is not a free agency period that's going to make a ton of impact this season. 100%, 100%, right? Don't spend a ton of money. Save all your dollars. You do have expensive players on this roster. You probably have to extend Marquise Brown at some point or, I guess, prepare for a franchise tag next offseason. So why would you spend? Instead, bring a guy in who Jonathan Gannon just worked with in Philadelphia, who I think we'd all agree is a high floor player, maybe the highest ceiling, but a good coverage linebacker that can give you 800-plus snaps and not be a complete liability against the run, against the pass, anything. Yeah, that, that's the kind of move they should have made. All the buzzwords. Establish your culture and get your vets in there all that but but i think there is credence to it especially when you're walking into a situation where there kind of have been some question marks not just the players i mean organizationally top down you know what is this culture like if ganathan wants to reset that this is how you start doing it so overall we gave their offseason a b grade um outstanding draft you know nothing to write home about in terms of free agency but that is all part of the offseason strategy like one of the biggest sort of signals from this Arizona offseason is we're just going to fix the thing like it, we've this franchise has made some mistakes in the past that's why things have gotten off the rails and this offseason was about putting it right and I think they've they've done a good job like I wouldn't even pull out any individual move from free agency or the draft and single that out as something I didn't like there were you know moves that I didn't love but this was a good offseason across the board yeah, the only thing, you know, you can point to some of the losses, but I think this would also go back to, you know, a guy like Zach Allen, a guy like Byron Murphy. Yes, they are good players, but I think in this phase of where they are, if it's a difference-making player, if it's a force multiplier, foundational piece, yeah, maybe you spend even where you probably shouldn't spend. If they're an above-average to good player, let that guy go. Right. Um, Atlanta Falcons, 
So their draft, obviously highlighted by Bijan Robinson in the first round, number eight overall. Matthew Bergeron, the, the tackle slash guard from Syracuse in the second round. Third round, Zach Harrison, the edge rusher. Fourth round, Clark Phillips. Uh, and then a couple of seventh round picks as well. What was your favorite move that Atlanta made this offseason? You know, I, I think if you're going to go, you know, full tilt and everything they're doing, and obviously that, that points to the run game, they had the highest, you know, rushing rate in the NFL last year. I think that will continue even without Marcus Mariota and with a quarterback in Desmond Ritter that's more of a passer. But I love the Matthew Bergeron pick. I, I think the thought process here is he's probably your plug-and-play starter at left guard, at least in the outset. Maybe does have tackle flexibility down the road at either spot, but he's a mauler. I mean, you throw in his tape at Syracuse, he, he is going to have some fun blocks for Bijan Robinson next year. He can pull he can get out in space do a lot of different things you can run behind him i think he has a you know decent you know anchor as a run block and he's a little bit stronger and pass pro but but nevertheless like if you're gonna do this you better make sure you go all the way um and be very stout their offensive line is really talented pretty much across the board at this point yeah, and unlike Arizona, where their free agency, their sort of veteran moves were all about just treading water, just get to next year, Atlanta overhauled a lot with their moves. They signed Jesse Bates in free agency, Calais Campbell, Bud Dupree. Um, you know, Taylor Heineke comes in as a, a backup quarterback slash a guy that could challenge if things go off the rails for Desmond Ritter. Um, Scotty Miller, Jeffrey Akuda, the trade that they brought in. Jono Smith, the trade. Like, they've done a lot. Uh, David Onyemata as well. This was a team that really swung for the fences this offseason in terms of just moving as far forward as they could. No, no, no doubt about it. They spent a lot. I think they bring in some important veterans on the defensive line. Grady Jarrett's been playing by himself the last couple of years. And I think Anyamata Campbell, you mentioned Bud Dupree. Um, you know, just bring in they, they have a rotation now too. This new defensive coordinator and Ryan Nielsen coming over from New Orleans. I think they are gonna have a different look up front. Um, even bring over a guy like Caden Ellis, the off-ball linebacker that's kind of a like a Sam pass rushing, kind of interesting, you know, gadget type piece in, in the front seven. They're going to be much better in the trenches. I guess we'll pivot to, you know, least favorite, like out wide on both sides of the ball. I have very little faith in, the, in their outside corner opposite A.J. Terrell, and I have very little faith in, in their receiving options, um, you know, outside opposite of Drake London. Of course, a healthy Kyle Pitts, a good player, but but they kind of neglected that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite moves for the two of them are both of that kind of position, not not outside corner necessarily, but cornerback. I love Clark Phillips, where they got him in the draft. I think that's phenomenal value for a guy that could be easily be a day one starter, quote unquote, as a, a nickel corner, um, as your slot guy. And then Jeffrey Akuda as a trade candidate, like, okay, Akuda's not been good so far in the NFL. I don't know if he's ever going to reach the kind of level that people thought he would be, but that's the kind of reclamation project gamble that I think is absolutely worth taking for any team, but for a team like Atlanta as well, where you, you're talking about that weakness at outside corner, Akuda may never be that guy, but given what people thought about him coming into the draft, I think it's absolutely the kind of gamble that I would take. Um, again, like I don't see an awful lot to dislike in terms of moves. Like there's nothing that I would highlight necessarily and say, that's a bad move. They absolutely shouldn't have made that. Like maybe... You could quibble with the sheer investment in a guy like Jesse Bates, a, a safety just in terms of position value and that kind of thing. But this was a defense that needed talent and needed to be overhauled. 
Yeah, I think you could also I guess, quibble if if you're not a Desmond Ritter believer in, in kind of spending this much on every position but quarterback, and then it might kind of crumble. Right. And some of these players are, are older guys that aren't going to be you know three four year pieces. Not that any free agent edition is, but yeah. Now on the Akuda point, I agree. I mean, I think the issue in Detroit also was at no point that he have the expectation to maybe come in and be the number two. Like, there was there was never another good corner on this roster. Or now it's like, look, A.J. Terrell is clearly the best cornerback on this roster. You can have easier assignments. We're not going to give you, you know, play a ton of press man coverage if you don't want to, all these things. Um, I mentioned Ryan Nielsen. All the Saints did was acquire Ohio State defensive backs for the last couple of years. So they probably know each other already. Um, so, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. I just, I think, yeah, the quibble might be just like, what if they do all this spending, Ritter doesn't really take that step, and they're kind of sitting there, they don't have quarterback figured out, and they have an expensive kind of aging roster at a bunch of spots. Right. So we gave uh, Atlanta a B-plus for their draft, a B overall for their free agency, which shook out to a B-plus for their entire offseason grade. Um, let's move on to Baltimore. Obviously, their entire offseason was centered around this Lamar Jackson drama, you know, the, the contract stalemate, the franchise tag the way that whole thing unfolded and then ultimately getting him locked up to a long-term deal. What was your favorite move for the Ravens? I think it was holding firm and, and signing Lamar Jackson. I'll, I'll take the easy road out. They obviously <laughs> didn't do a whole lot. Like you mentioned in free agency and the draft class, I think was, you know what they had five picks total. I want to say six. I mean, look, you had to get Lamar Jackson done and credit to them, you know, ignoring you know any other conversation we've probably had on this show about, you know, the, the whole league situation there, but to stick to your guns and, and say, look, we're going to give you the number one quarterback contract in the NFL. You're going to set the market in cash flows in every single year of this deal. We are not trying to shortchange you in any way, shape, or form, but we're not going to give this outlier structure with the full guaranteed money that you want, and we don't think we have to, so... You know, credit to them. He's still going to make a ton of money. I think he still sees at least four years, if not the entire deal here, which really is what matters. Um, but, hey, they, they didn't relent on the structure, and it'll serve them well going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to look at the way that whole thing unfolded and not come to the conclusion that Baltimore won the negotiation. Like, every step of the way, they had a line in the sand that they weren't going to go beyond and basically dared Lamar Jackson to prove them wrong. And it, it never happened. And ultimately, as soon as you know, another big quarterback contract got done to kind of set the benchmarks, then they could just say, all right, here's your deal. We'll tweak it a little bit, but this is the structure we're working from. And they get Lamar Jackson back. They get him signed long-term. They add Odell Beckham along the way. They draft Zay Flowers to come in and add to that receiving room as well. So I think overall, there's been a pretty solid offseason for Baltimore. Yeah, no, it went about as well as you could have hoped. I think the Odell thing, too, look, I think his deal is insane. I think it's about twice what he's actually worth. But if you want to say, okay, he signed for one year 15, take $10 million of that and just tack it onto Lamar Jackson's <laughs> contract, then fine. I think both moves are great. So that's why the one the one thing I would nitpick is, is I just don't get why they felt the need to go to $15 million base value on a guy who hasn't played in about a year and a half. But, um, but yeah, they had to add a receiver. You get him now and Zay Flowers, even Nelson Aguilar now, is your you know wide receiver four or five is is a fine addition if he's that far down the depth chart um they, they should be right back in the thick of things especially if lamar stays healthy my favorite under the radar move that they made though is andrew Voorhees, the the offensive lineman from usc in the seventh round this is the guy that tore his acl during the drills at the combine and then went out there with his leg in a cast effectively and repped out 38 reps on the 225 bench press the next day rather than, you know, flying home to get his knee taken care of. I, I'll go to bat for that dude any day of the week. And in the seventh round, 
like even if it's a you know full red shirt first year, which presumably it will be, that's still outstanding value. I mean, this was a guy that was sort of maybe a day two, day three, or early day three type of pick. I think that's insane value. So B minus overall for Baltimore their offseason. Um, I, I think you know re-signing Lamar Jackson and winning that negotiation at, at the very minimum puts it as a B. So um, I, I think it's been a solid offseason for them. Buffalo Bills, uh, what's your, your favorite move that the Bills made? Yeah, so also kind of sat idly by and didn't do a whole lot, which I think you know probably makes sense. Uh, they have an expensive roster, some guys that still need some money. You know, I think their draft broke pretty well. I, I think getting Dalton Kincaid and Osiris Torrance in the first two rounds, you know, was kind of exactly what they needed. I know they went out and signed one of the Connor McGoverns, the Dallas Cowboys Connor McGovern, um, but I think Osiris Torrance. He can come in, kind of lose some weight, get get a little bit, um, you know, more built in an NFL weight room. Could challenge Ryan Bates for the starting right guard job maybe during this season. And I think you saw last year with Roger Saffold and Bates. You know, Josh Allen had a lot of interior pressure. He was running around a ton. He obviously had like a historically good season under pressure. We might never see a guy grade that well under pressure for an entire year ever again. But that is not sustainable as we as we well know. So I think the draft just look. They needed another pass catcher. Yes, a tight end instead of a receiver. But hey, a pass catcher um and then i think getting more guard help even though you did kind of make your one big signing was connor mcgovern don't be satisfied by that go get some depth i think they just addressed their needs pretty well yeah it's interesting i think the last three really really good seasons under pressure have come from sequentially justin herbert joe burrow and josh allen and two of those three have been followed by the team specifically overhauling the offensive line like understanding that this is not good. Yeah, it was great at the time that he was able to overcome all this pressure and play out of his mind and you know make all these crazy plays, but we need to make sure that never happens again. Let's take the pressure off his plate. Buffalo didn't certainly didn't do that as aggressively as the Chargers and the Bengals did, um, but I, I agree. I love the Dalton Kincaid pick in the first round, but I think because we were talking about Osiris Torrance as maybe being a first-round selection for Buffalo, getting him in the second after Kincaid like, has to be my favorite individual move that they made simply because of the value. Like I think if they'd taken him in the first round, nobody would have batted an eyelid. It would have made perfect sense. To get him in the second is just outstanding. Yeah, no, exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, he slipped because he's you know 24 years old, I want to say, and his testing was pretty poor. But I think both things you can work through and you just can't argue with maybe the best anchor as a pass blocker in college football last year among guards. You know, I, I think he's a guy that can contribute earlier than a lot of these picks. Like, Paris, I love Paris Johnson. I think he's going to get bull rushed, um, you know, onto his backside a couple times this year. I think Torrance is, is a, you know, the quote unquote plug and play type guy. Uh, so overall, that's a B for Buffalo's offseason, uh, an A for the draft, a C-plus for their free agency, which obviously was sort of characterized by departures as much as anything else. You know, losing Tremaine Edmonds, the, the off-the-ball linebacker, to a monster contract in uh, Chicago. Um, so another generally solid offseason for Buffalo, but as you say, it was, was generally a, a pretty quiet one. Um, now we get to some more noise, though. Carolina, what's your favorite single move that they made? Yeah, I had to be aggressive here. I know we've we've nitpicked on all the different quarterbacks, and I think we tried to, whatever the media liked at that time, we kind of convinced ourselves that guy was good. I thought Bryce Young was the best quarterback in this class by, by a good margin. I get the size concerns. I understand that. But you just go ahead and watch his Alabama tape. Um, 
and he was just the most, you know, gifted quarterback, but also clearly understands football at an incredibly high level uh, cerebrally. He's good under pressure. He's good at inside of structure, outside of structure. Um, he, he can do everything. And I think when you're sitting there, instead of settling, just go and get your guy. Yes, it was very, very expensive to do, um, but I, I commend Carolina for not – look. They've gone Darnold, Mayfield, Bridgewater, you know, so on and so forth. Just go get your rookie guy and see if you can do this once and for all. No, I agree. I think my favorite move is not even selecting Bryce Young. It's the trade. It's going from nine to number one, knowing, okay, it cost you a lot, right? You gave up DJ Moore to make it happen in addition to the picks. Um, it was expensive, but they did. They just said, look, we're not comfortable being here at nine and just hoping the draft falls our way and that a quarterback we like makes it this far. We need this position addressed, and the only way to solve that is to trade the number one right now. You know, before anybody else gets a chance, we we leapfrog Houston. We do whatever we need to do, and that that way we have control. And then you end up coming out of the draft with Bryce Young, who I think the further along we went, the closer to consensus it became that he was the clear number one quarterback in this draft. Like obviously, a lot of people thought that all the way along, but I think the closer to draft day it became, the more it became obvious that this was actually the case. And at that point, Carolina had long since locked up the ability to make that happen themselves. So the trade to get up to number one, I think, is my favorite move they made. Are there any moves that you don't like from their uh, offseason? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I just said the trade. But I do think, like, people don't appreciate how bad this receiving core is, even after you add, uh, you know, in the draft and Mingo in the second round. Like, I think they have a bottom five receiving core in the NFL. Um, I like the offensive line. I, I hate the Austin Corbett injury so much because I honestly think their starting five with a healthy Austin Corbett was honestly like quietly, just unlike the receivers, I think a really solid unit. Yeah. I think Ikea Kwanu in the second half last year at left tackle, their first round pick from last year, sort of playing very good football. You re-signed Bradley Bozeman. You had Brady Christensen, I think is a good left guard. And of course, Taylor Moten, one of the top 10 highest paid right tackles. So anyway, I, I just, Adam Thielen, veteran, sure, all those good things. But the, the Adam Thielen of last year um, was not worth the contract they gave him. Struggled to separate, was just not the same guy. And I think Bryce Young is going to have a lot of covered receivers uh, to be throwing to. Are they a team that even this late in the day would be a candidate to trade for DeAndre Hopkins? I mean, I mentioned that earlier in the offseason before the draft. And, you know, people were complaining about, oh, we're going to go with this rookie quarterback and this is a short-term move. And I mean, it is, but it's to give you, like, <laughs> Bryce Young needs somebody to throw to. And I, I agree with you. I don't think that the receiving core that they have, unless Mingo hits the ground running, which I think is – possible um like if that doesn't happen he's working behind the eight ball like give him a guaranteed target that he knows will be there will be open and somebody to really lean on I don't know if he'll be in that market just because the timelines probably aren't great. Um, you know, in the contract, obviously, they, they, I mean, they quietly had five picks themselves. They've been spending a ton and trading a lot of picks away uh, the last several years trying to chase, you know, kind of mediocrity. So I would imagine they're more a team that, let's say, you know, Denver gets off to a bad start. They call them back and say, hey, we know Judy and Cortland Sutton were available. Are they still available? You know, like those type of, you know, 28 and under guys. I'm just not sure D Hop is the player, but I do think if things are off to a good start and they want to, you know, win the NFC South or, or you know, make a push because it is the rookie contract of a Bryce Young, that they should consider doing that, you know, maybe near the deadline. I just think there's a lot of value in in the short term. Like, okay, obviously this is a team building for not you know this year, but 2024, 2025. But if your quarterback is drowning out there because he doesn't have any receivers he trusts, like that's a that's an important 
part of his early development. So, yes, DeAndre Hopkins probably isn't going to be there when you expect this team to be reaching its peak in the next couple of years, but that's kind of irrelevant. Like, right now, you need to make sure that Bryce Young is actually the guy. So his development, his first year, is a really important thing. And if he's throwing to Adam Thielen as his number one wide receiver or DJ Chark, like, that's a serious problem. So I I think people should kind of entertain the DeAndre Hopkins thing more than they are, even knowing that it, the timelines don't mesh in terms of, you know, when the, the team overall is going to be at its best. But, like, the short term is important for this team as well. Oh, it's totally fair. I mean, the team we're about to talk about that now has DJ Moore. I mean, you see what can happen if a quarterback does not have receivers to throw to and, you know, starts playing a little bit scared and, and kind of thinking they're always under pressure or thinking they have to see a guy get fully open to throw it to him. And look, Bryce Young's supporting cast this past year was not good, but he obviously has a lot of experience throwing to wide open receivers in, in his day. So, no, I think it's fair. And honestly, I guess you could push back on the, on the window. The window of a rookie contract quarterback is the rookie contract, which can last three years sometimes. So D-Hop could be the big investment for three years, and then you, you, you figure it out after that. So B-plus overall for the offseason with Carolina, B-plus for their draft, B for their free agency, which was um, an eclectic bag of guys, guys like Adam Thielen coming in, DJ Chark, Hayden Hurst added at the tight end room. Uh, they made a bunch of moves but weren't necessarily big players in free agency. Von Bell, Eric Rowe in the defensive backfield as well. Uh, a generally, again, solid offseason with Carolina, punctuated by this one giant move they made to go get their guy to potentially have their quarterback of the future, which is everything to this franchise going forward. Chicago Bears, your team. What do we think of this Bears offseason? Which was, you know, last season was tear the thing down, strip it back to bare metal, this season was the start of the rebuild project. How have they done? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, foundationally, they've done a lot of what they said, and I think they are still set up for so much success going forward. You know, thank you to Lovey Smith and, and our guy Davis Mills, Mills Mafia down in Houston. But look, I mean, when you can get DJ Moore and you actually don't even give up draft capital, you're getting DJ Moore as a throw-in to a massively plus draft capital move. Um, You didn't need a quarterback, so why would you stay at one, or at least you didn't think you did? Um, Look, the defensive line is still probably one of the worst in the NFL, but I think the protection for fields is now hopefully around NFL average, and the receiving core also hopefully around NFL average, which I think the, the, the upside to maybe even sneak into like a top 10, top 12 wide receiver group. So I think they've done about as well as they could um, in one-off offseason given how bad the team was entering the offseason yeah much like Carolina I mean my favorite move for for Chicago was the trade it was not sticking at number one using that pick trading back getting the the haul uh, maximizing what you could get for that one spot that you got kind of lucky to get in the first place like it, it required that Texans win to take you to that number one spot and they took advantage of that as best as humanly possible so my favorite move they made was trading out of that Picking up DJ Moore as part of it, which is huge. I mean, if you want to zero in even further, uh, micro-analyze the trade and say, look, my favorite element of it is picking up DJ Moore um, as part of that trade. Like, that's absolutely huge. But that, I think, is is by far my single favorite move that the Chicago Bears made this offseason. It's hard to argue, right? I mean, you bring in a guy that just got extended to, so is on the first year of a new contract, is a... I know everyone squabbles. He's a number one wide receiver, whatever you want to define that as. I think he's top 20 in the NFL. I mean, the guy was a thousand yard guy playing for Carolina with, you know, the list of quarterbacks I just mentioned uh, before who who were frankly not good. So it also, and I think I've said this a bunch of times too, but 
We always look at A.J. Brown going to Philadelphia. It wasn't just A.J. Brown going to Philly. It was making Devontae Smith a number two receiver right. and, and Dallas Goddard freeing him up like everything else it does. Now in Chicago, Darnell Mooney, Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, all these guys are no longer a, a, a focal point of the offense, or rather they're just they're, they're knocked down a peg. And so I think it improves everything um, with, with that offense. My second favorite move they made, though, is T.J. Edwards for the contract that he's on, the linebacker coming over from Philadelphia. I think that's an absolute steal, um, given how little resource were plugged into there. But Chicago, interestingly, so they had a couple of moves I think that were fantastic. They generally did a lot of work. I I didn't like a lot of their personnel moves. Not that I hated them, but I think a lot of them were questionable, maybe not the right word, but I just didn't love the choices that they made. So sinking a ton of money into Tremaine Edmonds, having essentially passed on the option to do that with Roquan Smith, uh, Tremaine Edmonds coming off a career year, but massive outlier year relative to everything in his career previous to that like a special athlete built like the prototype for today's nfl linebacker is this huge fast rangy incredible length type of player but hadn't really put it together before this most recent season now you're sinking an absolute ton of money into that off the ball linebacker position while you know the defensive line still need to work which kind of boxed him into a corner a little bit needing to go into the draft targeting that defensive line, which is where you get, you know, second round picks like Gervin Dexter and, and third round picks like Zach Pickens, themselves players that I didn't necessarily love. Uh, we talked in the, the, the buildup, Tyreek Stevenson, the corner they drafted in the second round was a guy that I didn't love as well. So I, generally, I just, I think I wasn't wild on a lot of the individual personnel decisions that they made. Yeah, I think it's fair to one or two, just the asset, you know, allocation of resources and why they spent so much at certain spots. I mean, you know, I, I would say the one thing with the Roquan versus Tremaine thing, like, you know, you mentioned the, the size of Tremaine Edmonds. If you want a mic in this, you know, Matt, Matt Eberflus system, like you want a Tremaine Edmonds coming off, like you said, best coverage grade of his career, a top five coverage uh, linebacker for us last offseason. I, I think if you, you do kind of get concerned, why was it such a breakout year? He will be 25 in week one of this season, his sixth NFL season. Um, I know people love to throw those numbers around like, oh, you know, he's only 25, yada, yada. But um, I get it. I I get it. I I do. I I think it's interesting to, you know, spend that much in the back seven and still, like I said, I think probably have the worst defensive line in football. Um, But I'll tell you this. I think with the extra draft capital they have and the fact they still lead the NFL in cap space by over $10 million, I don't think they're done. I think they might be trading for an edge rusher before week one. Ooh. Um, it's also like it, it's an interesting strategy because you could see the things that they were targeting with the it's not like they just signed bad players like that's that's happened before <laughs> NFL teams have done that where they've sunk a ton of money or draft capital into players that are just objectively not good and don't really have the capacity to be as much as I wouldn't have sunk that money into Tremaine Edmonds and I think there's a lot of risk attached to him given his career so far like, I get it. I understand why you covet a guy like that, and he was genuinely fantastic last year. If you get that guy again every single season, it probably ends up being a good move. Similarly, the guys that they drafted, those defensive linemen, Gervin Dexter, Zach Pickens, you can understand what they're targeting with those guys. You can, you, you only, the question is whether they're actually going to tap into that potential and end up getting that player, uh, realizing the potential, or if it's the right risk to take, or if they're sort of betting on the, you know, the small side of that potential outcome. Again, they're moves that I wouldn't make, but I at least understand what they're doing. So my point being, 
it all has a chance to come good if they're proved correct, you know, on a few of these personnel decisions. Like, they're, they're gambles that I wouldn't take, but ultimately if they pay off, if they get the payoff from them, they win. I, I think you put it perfectly there where it's like you you know the vision. You understand at least what they're trying to do. For right. the draft players, every single guy is a, you know, his athletic testing was off the charts in many different ways. If you trust that you can develop these players and these athletes up to be good NFL players in your system and it pays off, then that's great. They're young. They, they are athletic as can, as can be. Um, and then in free agency, look, I get that, like you mentioned, the good, good player versus bad player, all that. I think, and this is refreshing as a Bears fan because it was not the case in the prior regime, they set prices that they were not willing to spend. Look, I got examples. A guy like Mike McGlinchey or a guy like a Draymond Jones, I don't I don't know for a fact either guy was on their radar, but I don't think they were going to just go to any number possible to bring that player in. I think they set a line, said, we'll pay this much and not a penny more, and I think they actually stuck to that. So, yeah, we'll see if it works. Maybe it'll all you know blow up in their face, but I think they actually had a clear plan, which... You know, it sounds like reductive to say they all don't, but it certainly doesn't seem like some teams have a clear plan at times. No, I mean, I, I think it's true. Um, so we gave uh, both parts of their offseason draft and free agency a B plus that shakes out to an A minus overall when you compare the when you combine the two. Um, I think just the move that they made to trade down, amass the draft capital, pick up DJ Moore, like that's going to secure a reasonably good offseason grade for Chicago. And then the proof in the pudding is going to be, you know, what percentage of those quote-unquote risky picks that they made or risky personnel decisions that they made are going to end up being proved correct. And the other sort of sneaky element to that is they kind of have a, a contingency. As much as I don't like some of these selections or, or personnel moves, they've almost insured it with a sneaky backup option in each spot, right? Like, Maybe Tremaine Edmonds doesn't justify the kind of deal they gave him. On the other hand, um, T.J. Edwards could end up being an absolute freaking steal for the amount of money they gave him and completely offset whatever disappointment you get from Edmonds. Similarly, I don't like Tyreek Stevenson as a, as a corner prospect. He's just not a guy that I would touch in the draft given his tape. But Terrell Smith from Minnesota in the fifth round I think could end up leapfrogging him. Like you, it, That could be another... Kyrie Elam, Christian Benford situation where week one, we're talking about the fifth round pick being the starter, not the guy that was drafted in the second round who everybody expected to be the dude. So I think they've maybe not intentionally, but a couple of the picks or a couple of the personnel moves that I didn't love have the chance to be completely solved if they if the guys that I did love uh, end up being the guy instead. So let's move on to Cincinnati, the hometown Cincinnati Bengals. How was their offseason? I think their offseason was phenomenal. I mean, they're just on a stretch right now of just really, really good free agencies and, and draft classes. It's kind of remarkable to see, um, you know, for a team that obviously was not always great in in these areas, um, you know, consistently, um, I think hitting a lot of doubles. I think that this offseason is about hitting a lot of doubles, maybe not a, not a home run type of offseason, but home runs are with top five, top five picks that they no longer have. So, for me, like getting Orlando Brown for the deal they did, four years, $64 million, um, is just such a remarkable discount for the player he is. I know he's not an elite left tackle, but he's not $10 million worse um, than, than the top of the market, which is now kind of the case. And then the draft, too. Like, I, I don't really know why Miles Murphy fell as far as he did. He does need to develop more moves, doesn't have an inside move, doesn't have a lot of great hand technique, kind of just a good athlete. But I think a steal at 28. Um, and then Jordan Battle on third round at safety as well. They just... They addressed needs. They added depth, which I think is important. Besides kind of tackle, I think they're deep pretty much everywhere. Um, and, and they have a lot of good football players on this team. 
Yeah, and obviously they lost some players in free agency as well. Um, but I think by and large, they were players that they expected or had planned to, to lose along the way. Von Bell, probably the one that, that wasn't, I think, in that category that they would have liked to retain and didn't. But Jesse Bates was always gone, right? The, the way that they approached that, he was never going to stay long term. He was always going to play out the end of that guaranteed deal and then, and then bounce. Um, so to parlay that into Orlando Brown Jr., Cody Ford quietly could end up being a, a nice addition to them. Like, this is about... Um, the, the depth along that offensive line. Like Cincinnati has had, they've overhauled the line. The starting five is way better than it was a couple of years ago. The depth is still a problem. When we saw that last year, whenever they have to go into the bench, it's back to the same catastrophic players that were starting for them previously and couldn't get it done. Now, if you can upgrade those guys, you're continuing to move in the right direction. And then Irv Smith Jr., the tight end from Minnesota, is another one of those perfect reclamation project gambles that I love. Every single year you would hear, you know, preseason training camp buzz about how Irv Smith was going to take off and be this dominant force and then injury struck again. It never happened. But if they keep him healthy for a season, then Irv Smith can absolutely be an impact player in this offense that, you know, is obviously in a great situation right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I mean, even the guys you touched on, DJ Turner, too, in the second round, like maybe he doesn't start. Maybe you have Cam Taylor, Britt, and Shadobi Wouzier, a healthy version back, but you just you, you do not have these massive drop-offs. Again, maybe right tackle scares me a little bit because I don't think Lyle Collins is going to be healthy for the first, I don't know, half of the season. Right. It kind of came out recently that he had a pretty gnarly knee injury that you know, kind of went under the radar. He's obviously had a bunch of injuries, not the youngest player in the world anymore. But, but yeah, like... If they have an injury to a bunch of spots, they, they should be okay, um, w- which is obviously massive when you're trying to play now a 17-game schedule at a very high level, win a gauntlet of a division in the AFC North. Um, I think they set themselves up very well also to keep the starters fresh, too. It's not just having good depth, but I think you saw Trey Hendrickson last year kind of, you know, in the Kansas City game in particular, couldn't be the version of him that we've seen. Miles Murphy, to me, can play early downs against the run pretty much right away in the NFL. I think he has that strength on the edge. Keep Trey Henderson fresh and let him kind of tee off against quarterbacks. Like stuff like that is is emblematic of their entire offseason across the roster. Yeah, they've done a really great job future proofing this roster away in in the way a, a few of the really good teams in the NFL have done in recent seasons. Like DJ Turner. I mean, that was like Dax Hill a, a season ago where he wasn't necessarily going to start, but he's going to come in year two and be that guy. The the wide receiver additions, Charlie Jones, Andre Yosivas. These are guys that can be contributors not necessarily this year but the following year miles murphy as you say can get playing time right away but also is probably a guy that ultimately replaces hendrickson down the line if he can develop so love the moves that cincinnati have made also they quietly an underrated not even a move the in fact the exact opposite the steadfast refusal to even blink when jonah williams was like oh you've given my left tackle spot away well i want to trade and they just went "Uh, that's sweet you know talk to you later and just did nothing, right? And now Jonah Williams is presumably going to be the right tackle because he hasn't forced a trade. I don't think he's going to be sitting out because the guy needs to play this year to fix the season that he had previously where he gave up 13 sacks and prove that he deserves, you know, a second, a, bit, a decent amount of money in his next contract. So simply not blinking when a, a guy came to them and said, oh, I, w- I want out. Like you've, you've given away my starting spot, potentially gives them the right tackle they need this year. 
this is something you earn again by being a competitive team to where if they were five and 11, five and 12 last year, whatever, we'd be like, yeah, like get them out of there. And now it's like, Jonah, you played right tackle in college. The markets are uh, the, the main reason players do it, including their left tackle, Orlando Brown, even though it did not work at all, is for the money. But Jawan Taylor just got $20 million a year. Lane Johnson got over $20 million a year. Like the markets are very, very close. I think even he might just realize like, why would I force my way right. to go learn a new system just so I can play left tackle in a contract year as opposed to, all right, switch back to a position I've played before on a contending team, win 14 games, whatever, make a playoff run, whatever, and I'll still cash out and I could go back to left tackle. I, I agree with you, but I do think you earned that by, like, if he complains, this locker room is going to be like, yo, Jonah, like, we're trying to win a title here. We're not right. really concerned with, you know, you know these little – again, every player has a right to do whatever they want contractually. That's not what I'm saying. But, but yeah, you, you earn the ability, like you said, to just sit tight and say, eh, we're, we're, we're good with it. Yeah, and I think that, that ends up being a kind of sneaky, under the radar – again, not even a move, just a smart thing, smart approach to the offseason that they've had. So, overall, this is one of the better offseasons in the NFL, I think. And A, we gave them A for the draft, A- minus for their – Approach to free agency, um, pretty much nailed it. Uh, Cleveland, up the uh, the Ohio, the state, not the Ohio River. Um, how did the Browns do? They've had a pretty interesting offseason. Yeah, I think they had a great offseason as well. Obviously capped off with a recent move with the trade for Zadaria Smith. Uh, Smith had more pressures than every edge rusher not named Miles Garrett combined on the Cleveland Browns last yeah. year. You also bring in Agua Caranco from Houston, which I love now because – you know, on passing downs on third downs, you probably kick Smith inside and have Akaranko, Garrett on the edge, and then Smith and Dalvin Thomas on the interior. I mean, that is a gigantic upgrade from what they had last year. And Jim Schwartz is now calling the shots um, on defense, which I think is going underrated. You know, everyone sh should be kind of, you know, lauding Miami for getting Vic Fangio. Schwartz is a really, really good defensive play, Carl, as well. We saw Tennessee, they rotated nine dudes on the defensive line, half of whom you probably never heard of, and all of them were very, very productive, very good players. So I think they did phenomenally. My favorite move, if we dive into that, is the trade for Elijah Moore. So uh, for a couple of reasons. A, I think you needed more weapons besides Amari Cooper. I think Moore is such a different skill set. He is a quick separator. You're going to put him in the slot. Um, he can win down the field. He has speed, but I think just gives you kind of a different skill set. And then, of course, Donovan Peoples-Jones will kind of be the big body, go up and get a guy on the outside. But also, in that trade, instead of just giving a pick to go get Elijah Moore, they do a pick swap, and they actually use that third-round pick on Cedric Tillman. So you added two wide receivers um, for, for moving down around uh, in the draft. And I think that was just a smart way to really overhaul uh, your receiving core. Uh, look, I, I, it's a tough division, like I said, but this roster on paper is pretty loaded. If, of course, big if, the Sean Watson can get back to you know a, a for former version that we did not see last year. So there were a lot of people um, in the chat and the replies previously when we talked about it complaining about my characterization of how the trade for um, how the trade for Zadaria Smith actually ends up netting out. So you, as somebody who's you know done this, who's done work on not improving the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, but having a better trade chart, a better, uh, more accurate, more modern day interpretation, how would you? sum up the algebra of when you start canceling out all those picks, what is the net of what Cleveland gave up for that contract? 
Yeah, so, so it's again, um, you know, I, I like pick swaps a lot because if you're going to move, I mean, look, two-fifths for what was like a sixth and a seventh. Yeah. Realistically, none of those picks could be anything. Uh, I think on our chart, it comes out to the Vikings gained an equivalent of like a mid-fifth round pick. Um, the, the bigger thing was they were, they were not going to pay him or they didn't want to pay him. He was clearly disgruntled, um, was owed about $12.5 million, I want to say, um, for this year and about $20 million the year after that. Uh, instead, he comes to Cleveland. The last year of the deal is chopped off, so he's in a contract year, and it sounds like they reworked the deal a little bit to give him more guarantees and a slightly lower base value. So, yeah, Minnesota picks up some pay- picks, but it's more about clearing money. They obviously go out and sign Marcus Davenport for a reason. I think it's kind of just like a win-win, like every party in the, in this arrangement won. All right, so mid-fifth round pick is the, uh, the the net of that trade. I think I'd say it saw somewhere that it was uh, a seventh round pick was the equivalent, but it's it's higher than I thought it was. There you go. There you go. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the Browns offseason, generally, they've had a lot of talent. They've added talent to the right areas. That defensive line was a mess last season. Um, we talked about Zadari Smith, Akaronquo as well, Davlin Tomlinson. Um, in the draft, they hit it as well. That defensive line should be dramatically better than it was last year. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of targeting the secondary but you look at the secondary last year and on paper it should have been really good it just wasn't in part because the defensive line was getting gashed and they they weren't able to to make plays to help the 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 secondary so I think they're kind of banking on the idea that if all these defensive line additions the front seven guys work out then the guys we have on the back end should play much better than they did a year ago uh, I think it's a huge piece of it. And a very underrated small move they made was bringing in Roddy McLeod, uh, who was with Indianapolis last year, was obviously with Philly for, I don't know, six, seven years. Um, I think all of those with Jim Schwartz. So not only the defensive line, which is a huge, huge part of it, but I also think the talent is obvious uh, in this back seven in the secondary, but every guy was like 25 years old or younger. Um, and, and now I think you have, you know, kind of that, that that KG veteran to help, you know, a Greg Newsom, help a Denzel Ward, help a Grant Delpit. Yeah, like I said, on paper, I'm in love with this team. They just got to show up and actually do it. Um, I really like their draft as well. I, I think there's always a danger um, when you when a, a team drafts a couple of guys that slid for some reason, right? And, and by this, I mean the Ohio State guys, Dewan Jones, a tackle, Luke Whipler at center. Um, they end up being drafted in the fourth round, the sixth round, respectively, when we were talking about a potential fringe first-round guy in Dewan Jones and maybe a second-round guy in Luke Whipler. So when that happens, you're automatically, I think, disposed to being like, oh, it's great value, it's, it's a steal. But there's usually reasons that these guys fall, right? So for Dewan Jones, Chris was talking a lot about the attitude that he had in the offseason and his pro day and how he turned some, some, a lot of teams off with that, um, or whether it's medicals or whatever it is. The point being, they might not actually end up being the kind of steals you think they are. There's a reason they slid that far. But even if you kind of ring-fence those two guys and put them to the side— Cedric Tillman in the third round feels like phenomenal value for him. Siaki Ika on the defensive line, again, to continue that uh, assault up front on the, in the third round is great value. Isaiah McGuire, the, uh, the sort of big-bodied, can set a hard edge type of uh, edge defender from Missouri um, in the fourth round. Even DTR, who I don't think, yeah, I don't love as a prospect, but in the fifth round is phenomenal value. So... I love their draft overall, even if you forget the guys that look like the best value from it. 
No, I agree. If you account for where they were taken, they had no first or second round pick. I, I think it's great value. And then, too, like we just talked about with the Bengals, Dewan Jones, backup ta- swing tackle. Uh, Luke Whipler, backup center. They re-signed their starting center, Ethan Pochich. Like, every single guy, maybe besides Siaki Ika, is like the fourth guy in the depth chart of their position. I like Isaiah McGuire, too. He's now their fourth edge. Probably will play on early downs, like you said. A good edge setter, not a great pass rusher. Yeah, I think mean, they did about as well as they could with their first pick coming at 74, in my opinion. No, I agree. Um, so I think overall, this is, again, one of the better off seasons in the NFL. We gave it an A right up there with Cincinnati's, an A minus for their draft, um, and an A minus for their overall free agent strategy, which included those trades. So great off season for, for Cleveland. And, you know, a team I think that now needs Deshaun Watson to get back where he was when he was earning 90 plus PFF grades at Houston. If he does that, the Browns are back to being contenders. If he doesn't, they could be anywhere, right? Like we saw last season that there's there's not really a, a floor to how bad this thing can be if Deshaun Watson doesn't get himself back on track. The widest range in the NFL. But if he does get back to those 90s, I think they're going to be a force. All right, Dallas Cowboys. What are your favorite move the Cowboys made? Yeah, you know, I think Dallas has historically shied away from kind of trading for veterans, making some of the bigger, splashier moves. And I got to commend them for for kind of bucking that trend. I think both with Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore, are they long-term solutions? No, but do they address probably the two bigger needs the team had um, this offseason with with high-caliber, high-floor players? I think Brandon Cooks is still very, very good. Um, You know, when he played last year, kind of down the stretch, was still very productive. All he does is get traded, show up, and put up 1,000 yards. And I think, again... Him and C.D. Lamb, kind of like Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore, are so different, right? You're going to get Cooks down the sideline, the, the the taking the top off the defense type player, which allows C.D. Lamb to feast underneath out of the slot, rack up those yards after the catch, do all those things. And Stephon Gilmore as well, you know, with the Trevon Diggs, I think now you have two legit dudes on the outside. You can do different things with them, put them in a more favorable environment. So, yeah, it was those trades. They, did, they didn't do a lot of free agency, but they, they they made the small splashes for cheap, you know, fifth and sixth round picks uh, that I think it was smart of them to do. No, absolutely. And the Brandon Cooks thing is fascinating because he's he's had this weird career where, like, every year every he seems to get traded. But the less it costs to trade for him, the better the deal becomes, right? Like Brandon Cooks is a consistently good, impactful, you know, number one type wide receiver, a guy that can have success in pretty much any offense in the NFL. So the cheaper that deal ends up becoming, the better a move it is. And as you say, they've already got um, C.D. Lamb. They've already got like a pretty good group of receivers. Adding Brandon Cooks to that, I think, is, is fantastic value. Stephon Gilmore showed last year that he still has plenty of juice in the tank, and he doesn't need to be a number one guy because you have uh, Trayvon Diggs. Those are two really, really good moves for them. Yeah, no, and just had to be done because I don't think you were getting any receiver of that caliber at all in free agency. Obviously, you also do get you know Houston to retain a big chunk of money uh, on the Cooks deal. Gilmore was relatively cheap to begin with, and then yeah, I mean it just when we went into the draft. I think it also enabled. I know we didn't love their draft. We'll get into that in a second here, but they didn't have any like glaring need. I think Mozzie Smith in the first made a lot of sense because I do think you wanted a more run stuffing guy next to Osa Digizua. Um, so I guess you could call that a need, but like they don't really need to force anything. I think they just took the player they like the most, you know, on their board. Yeah, absolutely. I think Mozzie Smith made the most sense to them in terms of addressing a need. They they do need to get stronger on the interior of that defensive line half for a number of years. So I think that made a lot of sense. Um, outside of that, Schoonmaker, a tight end in the second round, 
felt like a little bit of a reach relative to where people expected him to go. Um, and overall, I think their draft was solid, not spectacular, but that, that Mozzie Smith pick, I think, was a, a good one. So overall, we gave Dallas a B minus, a B plus for their free agency work, including those two trades, and a C plus for their draft, which was yeah, a little bit meh, a little bit unspectacular. Um, but, you know, nothing you can really complain about. Denver Broncos. This is obviously Sean Payton coming in, probably the single biggest move. I mean, if you want to extend it to coaching, you know, front office uh, additions or subtractions as well, what do you make of Denver's offseason? I mean, clearly the mar- the markets, you look at the betting lines and stuff like that, they clearly have a whole lot of faith in Sean Payton. I mean, they should. I think he's a phenomenal football coach. I think he proved that for a very long time. Um, you know, can he fix Russell Wilson and all those things? We'll see. Look, they, they they did not have a lot of draft capital. They knew that, so they were aggressive spending. They obviously now have the richest owners in the NFL by, by a wide margin, so why not? I think they added good football players. Ben Powers, I think, was the clear top guard in, in the free agency market. I'm not a huge McGlinchey guy, but you know what? You go out and get probably the top right tackle on the market as well. You need to solidify this offensive line in front of Russell Wilson, and you probably go ahead and do that. I didn't love the value of a lot of the moves I made, like Zach Allen as well. Um, you know, I, I just I think they're all good players, not great players, and that's kind of just the nature of free agency. That's not an outlier for Denver. That's just how free agency works. But I mean, look, they, they don't have excuses. Like the, the roster is solid, and now you have a legitimate coach in Sean Payton. Um, it just it just comes down to Russ, and if it was mental or if he can get over it and just be, get back to playing good football. Yeah, I mean, I think. Sean Payton probably has to end up being like your favorite offseason move, right? And it, it it it's even fair to count it in Denver's thing because it costs them draft picks. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's, sometimes True. you'd be like, all right, we're stretching it a little bit. They just added a coach or a GM or whatever. But this one actually was a, you know, a, a quantifiable move against the traditional offseason metrics because it cost them a first rounder to to get this deal done. So Sean Payton coming in to try and fix this project has to be my favorite move. I mean, he he's the reason that they've done everything else. He's clearly the the guy behind the kind of hard pivot to, you know, let's let's address the offensive line, let's beef up the run game, let's sort of take things off Russell Wilson's plate because apparently letting him cook did not go well last year. It most certainly did not. And Sean Payton, even coming from a Drew Brees offense that obviously set records year after year after year, he wants to run the football. He wants to have a committee of running backs, which I think will be interesting. Um, I don't think Javante Williams is going to be ready in the in the first week of the year. I know he, Sean Payton, has said he hopes he will be. I, I just do not buy it at all. It sounds right. like he tore his ACL, LCL, and PCL. Yeah. Um, kind of like a J.K. Dobbins situation last year. But you do go out and get Samaj P. Ryan, who I think is a solid you know, kind of third down back and, and, and can run the ball. We saw that in Cincinnati, but yeah, so there's still a couple of holes, but I think it's at non, you know, premium positions. If we're going not least favorite, I like the players they took, but again, Sean Payton came in and said, we're doing things exactly how I want. And I think you saw that in trading up for Marvin Mims and trading up for Riley Moss. So look, I like both players. I don't really get why Marvin Mims wasn't talked about more in this receiver class. Um, and then Riley Moss, infamously the white, the white corner, um, I think is a good football player, um, you know, has good size speed, you know, could make an impact fairly early. Even Drew Sanders to the linebacker out of Arkansas, um, who some people thought could be, you know, a fringe top 50 first round pick even. And all good football players that I think will make an impact. I just, 
you, you, again, you don't have draft capital and you're trading a future third to Seattle next year, um, you know, which just opens the door for Seattle to have another super high pick, you know, from the Denver Broncos. Right. Yeah. I, I don't dislike an awful lot that they did. My, I guess my biggest quibble would probably be just the amount of money given to Zach Allen, you know, a solid player, but not necessarily somebody I would imagine is a needle mover for this team. I, I think they could have spent money elsewhere and, and maybe gotten a better player or even just a better allocation of resources. But overall, Another good offseason uh, in the NFL and a, a good offseason for Denver, given what they were facing at when they went into it, right? This this disaster of a first year of Russell Wilson. They got probably the best person you could have to come in and try and fix that in Sean Payton. And evidently, you're seeing the kind of impact of what he's doing to this roster, to the entire approach. B-plus for free agency, B-plus for their draft, which shakes out to an A-minus overall. Another fascinating team coming up, the Detroit Lions. Yeah, the uh, Detroit Lions, I, I think, had a very, very good offseason. Of course, it's kind of unfortunate they now have to deal with a suspension for Jameson Williams for the first six games. Um, but, look, the biggest issue on that team by a wide margin was the secondary. And, and you go out and have three impact players in free agency um, in Chauncey Garner-Johnson, Cam Sutton, and Emmanuel Mosley, who I think, if healthy, would have signed a much bigger you know, free agent contract um, you know, Sutton has inside-outside flexibility. Chauncey Garner-Johnson has slot safety flexibility. I love the idea of now they have four safeties I like um, with a healthy Tracy Walker. You have Kirby Joseph, and you go ahead and draft Brian Branch. Like Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, was the DB's coach in New Orleans. That is kind of his bread and butter, and he that may be the most improved you know position group in the entire NFL of the offseason is the secondary in Detroit. So. You know, I think it was a good offseason for sure. We'll get to the draft, which I did not love. And I'll just say, not they should have forced a pick, but the interior of their defensive line is still, you know, a, a weak spot for me. No, I think it is. And, you know, your biggest kind of, my biggest what if for them generally would be, you know, what if this team had drafted Kalijah Kansi instead? Like a guy that could maybe is the, outside of Jalen Carter, is the, the sort of most disruptive impact interior pass rusher in this entire draft that I think is is a question that they would have to answer in terms of opportunity cost but overall I think the Detroit Lions have one of the best off seasons in the NFL like they did exactly what you're supposed to do which is let's prop this thing up in free agency let's make sure that we don't have to force these picks so we bring in these guys that can start in the secondary so now we don't have to go and spend number six overall on a corner just because we need a starting corner. We can play the board. We can take players that we want to take. We don't have to force the need pick. So to get Cameron Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, that's, that's the way you're supposed to do it. You add you know, reinforcements in, along various other spots as well. I think their free agency was exactly what you're supposed to do in free agency and freed them up to play the draft the way they wanted to play it. Now... When you get to the draft, then you have the question of, did they play it the correct way? And as much as I think they, they had this sort of freakish run of targeting the least valuable positions in the NFL with running back, linebacker, tight end, safety, their first four picks, the, the only one that I would really quibble with is Jameer Gibbs, just because at number 12 overall, I, I just don't think that they can craft the kind of role for him that will justify that selection, particularly when it involves passing on a guy like Kalijah Kansi. But Jack Campbell, a linebacker at 18, it's, it's higher than I would have taken him, but I don't really have a problem with that given 
this linebacker class. Sam Laporta at 34 overall. Again, same thing. Kind of, it's a little bit higher than I would take him, but I don't really have an issue with it. Brian Branch in the, the second round of 45, I think, is one of the best value picks in those first 50 selections. And then Hendon Hooker in round three, like that's exactly where he's supposed to go, given his skill set, given the potential of what he could be. Generally, I quite like this draft. I just think the Jameer Gibbs pick is the one that you can kind of say the opportunity cost for that was probably too high. I would quibble with Campbell just a little because you went out and re-signed Alex Anzalone on a solid three-year, $18 million deal. You have Rodrigo, everyone's favorite player from, from Hard Knocks last year, which, again, not saying you need more you, know, you need more than two linebackers on the team, but my thing is since 2016, there have been 14 first-round linebackers selected. Zero have signed a second contract with the drafting team, right. and I don't think Jack Campbell was a first-round talent. Those are that's including guys that went top ten and top five. Um, and he, I think, was look. It was a bad class, so that is an important caveat, right? Yeah. We're like, yeah, even if you think he's the should go 30th, we saw linebackers come off the board so late, and so it was the. Fewest off-ball linebacker drafted in a class in the rookie wage scale era by, I want to say, five picks. Um, I had someone send that to me. Shout out Hardix and Gavi for sending me that data. But but nevertheless, like, it was not a good class. So, but that being said, I, I just, I because of Kalijah Kansi too, which is a bad way to view it. But, but yeah, like, him and Aline McNeil would have excited me on the interior. Yeah. Now I'm just scratching my head saying, you know, again, like the Bears, like, the, their linebackers might be chasing a lot of, you know, free rushers because the defensive line up front is just not good enough on the interior. I think this draft class more than any, like this draft class between, as you said, a weak linebacker class, but also like a weak draft overall, when you reached pick 18-ish, maybe, you know, a couple of picks after this is where this really started. But when you started to get to that kind of range, I think we had reached the point where the talent level was low enough in this sort of first round that you were going to get some what looked like weird picks or reaches because the the different viewpoints of how this talent group stacked up was going to be so wild that you were going to start getting picks like this. So for Jack Campbell in a in a draft class of linebackers that A is bad and B is really low on like prototypical linebacker size people Jack Campbell has that. He's got the prototypical size, the 6'5", 250, runs fast. I get why they would take him there. So I, I wouldn't push on that one too much. The Gibbs one is the only one that I really have an issue with. So when you stack that all up, I guess my favorite individual move that they made is probably Hendon Hooker in the third round. It was ironic since I spent like two months before the draft railing against him going in the first. Um but in the third, the potential payoff, if he is able to do the things that we don't know that he can do yet, is colossal. No, for sure. And also, if you, if you fancy yourself a contender, or you will be soon. Teams are realizing more and more the backup quarterback is an important part of that equation. You're going to have to play that guy a couple games, most likely. Uh, we've seen a lot of playoff teams do that over the years. So if you can go two and one instead of one and two in a three-game stretch and it changes your seed or like – it matters a lot. So, yeah, and honestly, I actually like Laporta, too. I don't have to go through their whole draft class now, but I think Laporta could be a really, really good player. Obviously, a very early pick, and I know everyone's going to compare him to Michael Meyer for the rest of time, but a very, very good player in space, can run guys over, can make guys miss. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. It, it, it was a bad class. We all knew that. We, we should have expected some, some head-scratching picks, so to speak. So A- minus for Detroit overall was what it gave them. I think I'd push that higher. I'd give them an A, just a flat A. B-plus for their draft, A-minus for their free agency. Um, as I say, I, I kind of warmed to that draft class the more I thought about it. The only one that I would really 
push against as Jameer Gibbs um, drafted as high as he was. But I think that was a really, really good offseason for Detroit. And I don't want to say it gets their their project back on track because it's not like it was going badly, but it potentially redresses some of the elements of this project that hadn't gone as well as they would have wanted it to um, since they started this whole thing a couple of years ago. So really good offseason for them. Green Bay Packers, the Aaron Rodgers-less Green Bay Packers for the first time since, what was that, 2007? I think 2005, right? 2005, wow, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway for me, and this isn't a bad thing necessarily, but this, to me, their free agency, which they never really do, so you can't really count that. But, um, you know, letting a lot of guys leave, and then their draft class, to me, I like Lucas Van Ness as a player. I think he's going to be a good player. Anyway, the point for me is this is a class that says we are not trying to win in 2023. We're not trying to lose, but we're not focused on winning in 2023. This is a developmental offseason for our entire roster. We obviously have some old players like Dave Bakhtiari, but a lot of young players now with two big draft classes, uh, you know, with, of course, the extra draft capital last year for Devontae Adams. And again, you know, getting the New York Jets pick here in the second round. I just it just screams to me of we're not super duper confident in our in our contending status in 2023. We're going from a Hall of Famer to Jordan Love, so let's just get a bunch of dudes that we can develop as we always do in Green Bay, um, and see if we're good in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, free agency almost nothing happened. The obviously the the move there was trading away Aaron Rodgers, and to be honest, that might be my favorite move because they won. They won the negotiations again. Like they in this world of I, like I. I People are using this after the, the compensation came out to say, well, obviously the, uh, the Packers had the leverage, you know, between the two teams. I still maintain that neither side had any leverage. The Jets just blinked first. Like Green Bay just went, you know, they, it was a negotiation where neither team had any kind of leverage whatsoever because everybody needed it to happen. But the, the Jets were the team that ran out of patience and blinked before the draft, whereas the Packers won the game of chicken. Um so I think I guess that's my favorite move is that they stay they didn't blink they got the deal done and they ended up getting an absolute haul for a guy that they absolutely needed to get out of the building once everyone had decided this was something that needed to happen. No, I completely agree. I mean, even in the, the nitty gritty of the details, I, I think getting the future second round pick in 2024, the conditions only being tied to Rogers' snaps of 65 percent or higher, yeah. is a huge win. Uh, we heard rumors of tie it to a playoff appearance or tie it to how many games they win or whatever. They could go seven and ten in a gauntlet AFC, but as long as Rodgers is playing and there's no chance they're going to bench him or anything like that, um, you get that first round pick from the Jets next year. Or, or yeah, so yeah, no, it was a good offseason. It's just. And I know everyone freaks out at me about this. Look, the Jordan Love conversation, the only reason it ended where it was, the first thing that happens is Green Bay says, we don't want to pick up your $20 million fifth-year option. Therefore, that's how the conversation starts. You don't take a significant discount um, if that's not how it starts. So, look, I can be proven wrong. You mentioned I'm a Bears fan. I'm sure Jordan Love will be hanging. Uh, We'll be going into Canton in 18 years from now if if I have any luck. But – this the the deal he agreed to is one that to me and to Jason Fitzgerald and a lot of contract analysts says, eh, we don't have a ton of faith in this guy. We'll see what we have. Um, we have extra draft capital next year if we got to replace him, um, and we can get out of this contract fairly cleanly. We just didn't want to leave ourselves in a Daniel Jones situation yeah. where we're facing down a franchise tag or an extension. But yeah, anyway, long answer short, I just this just screams to me we're hitting the reset button a little bit, and we're gonna see what we have going forward. 
Um, I like their ja- their draft generally. Um, I was you know lower on Lucas Van Ness and other people, but it's fine. That's kind of where he was expected to go anyway. But I, I really like their approach of let's just keep hammering. You know, we we want two or three positions to come in and contribute in significant ways year one. So let's double and triple up at those positions and make sure we're getting that nailed. So Luke Musgrave in the second round, they come back, Tucker Craft from South Dakota State in the third round. Hopefully between the two of them, we'll get a contributing tight end. Wide receiver, uh, Jaden Reed in, in round two, kind of attacks a missing skill set from that wide receiver class or wide receiver room that they have anyway. But they're not done. Like fifth round, Dontavian Wicks. Um, seventh round, Grant DuBose. They're going to try and make sure that there's a wide receiver coming from this draft class that makes some kind of impact. And then obviously they get uh, Chris's guy, Anthony Johnson Jr., the safety in the seventh round, who obviously Chris loved. But there's other people out there. Like Ben Fennell is saying this guy could start year one. This is somebody that could legitimately contribute. And, you know, whatever we- reason, the NFL did not see him as that kind of guy, that's why he slid that far. But if Chris and everybody else is right, that's that's potentially an absolute steal. So overall for Green Bay, we ended up giving them a B-plus for their draft, a C-minus for free agency, which feels a little harsh because, okay, they didn't do anything. On the other hand, they did win that trade with the Jets. All of that shakes out to an overall B-minus offseason for the Packers. That's fair. Um Let's move on to Houston, another interesting team with, you know, big quarterback decision at the top for them. What did you make of Houston's offseason? Yeah, so I am a little bit confused. They're approaching for agency where it made sense in the beginning of the Nick Casario era to kind of go with a lot of one-year deals. You knew it was a multi-year rebuild. There was no reason to spend a ton of money or sign guys to multi-year contracts because, you know, realistically it all led to to today, to taking a quarterback very early, and then trying to figure things out. But I don't get why it kind of continued. Um, you bring in Sheldon Rankins, good player, but a one-year deal again. Um, you bring in Dalton Schultz, good player, one-year deal again. I just don't get why you at some point you look to be add some foundational pieces. Again, don't overspend in free agency. I'm not saying you're going to fix this roster in free agency, but, but nevertheless, um, found that kind of weird. And, and then the draft... I mean, look, we'll talk about it forever, but I think the trade was one of the worst trades we've ever seen. Um, You know, giving (laughs) a first and third round pick to Arizona next year when you have a rookie quarterback with a very bad receiving core, with a very bad defense. I love the coaching staff, um, but you're probably giving a top 10 pick in a very good draft class and a top 75 pick in a very good draft class to Arizona. So, you know what? Look, CJ Stroud and Will Anderson's a heck of a haul. Uh, Could be awesome players. I like Tank Dell. Uh, you, you know, I just, I don't know. I just, the, the direction that they're trying to go, I just don't frankly understand. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Um, I I remain a little bit confused as to what their free agent approach is. It made sense the last couple of years where it felt to me like they were just treading water until they actually got this Deshaun Watson capital in the building and then they could deploy that in future years. This was the year to deploy it and they did in the draft. But free agency felt like the same thing, where we just turn over like the bottom 25 spots of the roster simply because we have to, like because we've got to have something happening. Like where, I it felt like this was a team who now like now's the year where you start going after these bigger impact players. And okay, they got a couple of players in this list, which you would expect how long the list is that will be useful players. Like trading for Shaq Mason, I, I like as a move. I think that's a really good one. Might even be my favorite move of their offseason. Um, you know, Jimmy Ward, Robert Woods, these are guys that can contribute and can be useful players to them, but it didn't feel like the, you know, real kind of seismic shift in propelling this team forward. But okay, let's 
Talk to me about this trade for Will Anderson Jr. Um, how you said it was one of the worst trades you've ever seen. How bad is it when you stack it up next to? Because when you say worst trade ever, right? You start thinking Herschel Walker. You start thinking Ricky Williams trade, where you know Mike Ditka just went here, take everything. Uh, how bad is it on that scale as opposed to just you know bad trades in the last few years when everybody's had a vague idea of how to work this stuff? So not on a historic scale, I think you do see that the markets are different in the rookie wage scale era versus in the past for a bunch of reasons. Um, you know, teams used to throw around first round picks like crazy because their contracts were big. So you didn't actually get surplus value on the draft picks. You were basically paying a lot of unknown commodities a good chunk of money right away. If anything, it kind of made sense for, you know, obviously Washington was famous for just never making a first round pick for right. like a decade straight. But here's the thing for me is that and look, I like Will Anderson, but you cannot find a draft analyst anywhere that thinks he is a, you know, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa level prospect. They're, they're, that person is not out there. And so um, I wouldn't even like it if you did trade a future first and a third to go get a Miles Garrett level prospect. I think the odds that that player lives up to that you know, compensation is very, 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 very low, um, but but they didn't even do that. They went up to get a, a very good, I think, extremely high floor eight sack type of guy that probably does help you build a foundation and, and is, I, I, I mean, look, I tweeted out at the combine. This is dumb, but like his podium was the most impressive podium I've ever been to. Seems like a super smart dude, an awesome guy, like everything you want to kind of turn around a culture. I think Will Anderson from what I saw 10 minutes is that guy, but it's just like, you're giving up incredibly premium draft capital to another team. Um, and, and you still might stink next year. You probably will stink next year. Yeah, you mentioned, look, I like Shaq Mason trade. The offensive line is quietly a very good offensive line at most of their spots, but there's just still so many glaring needs on this team. The defense, D'Amico Ryans comes from San Francisco. I think the sixth best defensive lineman on San Fran, probably the number one defensive lineman on this Houston Texans roster. Um, you know, all due respect to Jerry Hughes and, and Sheldon Rankins and whatnot. Um, I love their secondary. Their secondary has good talent and is super duper deep, but there's just so many other holes that to invest three really, really solid picks in one player is just not a, a good use of resources. Yeah, it's almost impossible to frame that trade as anything other than bad process. Now, bad process can yield good results sometimes. Like sometimes you put a bet down on a real long shot and the long shot pays off, but it's a long shot for a reason. I mean, that's what this trade is. It is a massive gamble on a long shot that Will Anderson ends up being exactly as good as you think he is. And you can even try and argue that it was worth the picks that you gave up to, to make it happen. So it's just it's just bad process that may or may not end up uh, proving them correct, I guess, if you like. But ultimately, this, this offseason is going to come down to whether C.J. Stroud is the right guy or not. And that has its own question marks. Um, in terms of my favorite moves, I mentioned the Shaq Mason one. I love Tank Dell as well. I think in the third round, that's an absolute steal for Tank Dell. Much as we were talking about Bryce Young, if he was 6'2", 220, would be in a Trevor Lawrence kind of conversation. If Tank Dell was like 190 pounds, we'd be talking about him as a clear first-round wide receiver, and it wouldn't be – he might be the best receiver in this draft. But at 165, you're like, all right, that's scary. But he, like, he has the potential to be so good. I love that pick. 
Yeah, no, he's a stud. I, I don't know if I mentioned this on this show, but uh, someone at Houston said he's the hardest working player he's ever been around, like could not say enough good things about him. So, you know, it's cool the story that CJ Stroud asked him to go get him. Uh, he's obviously, I think he DM'd the Houston Texans main account saying, <laughs> don't let me leave the city, which is just awesome. Like, I, I love everything Tank Dell, so I'm with you on that one. Nice. So B overall for Houston, B minus for free agency, B minus for the draft, shakes out to a B overall for our grading. Indianapolis Colts. Um Obviously, another big quarterback decision for them. What do you make of the Colts offseason? Yeah, they're interesting. So they are another franchise that tends to kind of sit out of free agency, but I actually like the one move they made, well, besides signing a kicker to the biggest free agent kicker contract <laughs> of all time. Uh, we'll ignore that for now. But the one meaningful move they made, which is bringing in Samson Ebicam, um from the San Francisco 49ers, I think fits well on a defensive line that, look, it's a lot of potential, and potential doesn't mean anything until it shows up on Sundays, but you could have a really solid rotation um, with a healthy Darrell Dengbo, with Quiddy Pay taking another step, with Ebicam, DeForest Buckner, you, you draft um, Ade Adebaware from Northwestern. Um, like, there is the potential for him to be very good on the defensive side of the line. Um, yeah, I, I love taking the swing on Anthony Richardson, um, you know, but I think, again, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. But I did like their draft class. I do, again, I kind of get the vision. Um, it just might take a year or two to get there. I was surprised how bad the betting market thinks the Colts are going to be this year. Like, I agree with you. This year is not going to be their year. You know, they're obviously building for the future and for beyond. But I actually think they, I don't think they're going to stink this year. Like, there's too much talent on this team for them to be a complete and total disaster. And I think given the coach that they have in place and the game plan that they understand is going to have to exist for Anthony Richardson to start, their floor is going to be reasonably high. Like, I don't think this team is going to be terrible. I think markets sometimes just overcorrect for is like, look, the offensive line was bad for them. There's no denying yeah. that. But if they just, maybe it was health, maybe it was fatigue maybe it was playing for matt ryan you know in front of matt ryan and, and like their offensive line has tons of talent they just didn't play well last year if that regresses in a positive fashion then yeah like i would say besides cornerback which i think scares me a little bit like they're pretty solid at most other position groups um you add another receiver and josh downs to a which again Great totally thing. different player than michael Pittman and alec pierce on the outside like i'm with you the talent is there um again even more so if some guys who didn't play well last year get back to form or at least close to it yeah li liked a lot of their draft obviously this wild draft where they targeted these hyper athletes in almost every single position i guess my favorite move has got to be the anthony richardson thing um not necessarily because i'm in love with richardson as a prospect but i love the logic. I love the process. I love them coming out and admitting that, look, look at the AFC right now. Like we have Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Like there is this gauntlet of insane quarterbacks that we got to get past. What good does OK do us? Like if we drafted, you know, another quarterback and he ends up just being a capable starter, that's useless. We're going to get bounced by every one of those guys that are superstars. Let's at least swing for the fence. Let's grab a guy like Richardson who if we can turn or if we can get to realize that ridiculous athletic potential and the capability that he has can at least theoretically, you know, in an ideal world, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with those guys and do similar special things. I, I like that as logic. I think that's the way you, you have to go. That's the only approach you can take now. 
it's the only thing that's going to do anything of meaning in, in the AFC. Like, not to always pick on a guy, but like Mac Jones does nothing for you in the AFC. He's not a top ten AFC quarterback, and I think he's solid. And there's right. no room for him to get better that make him a top ten AFC quarterback. Like, I don't even think Russell Wilson and Tua Tagovailoa are a top ten AFC quarterback. So, um, yeah, no, I cannot agree more there. I love a lot of their picks. Uh, Julius Prince from Kansas State is a big physical press man outside corner. I think he might obviously have a, a bigger role than he probably needs to out of the gate. And then, like you said, just just freak athletes across the board. Um, I like Blake Freeland as well. Probably get some some potential playing time. Um, two more, actually three more uh, deeper cuts. But I think Evan Hole is gonna have a role um, in this offense as a pass catching back. With you know, get Jonathan Taylor getting spelled a little bit more. I talked to uh, Minnesota linebacker for an article before the draft, um, yeah, Mario Mariano Sorimaran, who said the hardest guy to bring down in the Big Ten was Evan Hull. Um, and then Will Mallory, the tight end from Miami, yeah. is a very fluid athlete, good in space, good speed. And one more, Daniel Scott, the safety from California. Again, just like they're just taking athletes. And I think, you know, if, if six of these 15 picks they made uh, hit, it, it's a good class. Let's not forget they brought in Gardner Minshew, so instantly got at least 25% cooler over the offseason, which is a big uh, important boom for them as well overall we gave the Colts an A- minus for their offseason a C- plus for their free agency an A- plus for their draft one of the best drafts out there I think overall a fantastic offseason for them and a completely new direction for a team that had been kind of uh, sinking with these veteran quarterbacks for the last few years Jacksonville obviously Trevor Lawrence and the team generally on the up how was Jacksonville's offseason I think the key here for Jacksonville was for the first time in forever, when they lost players, they had in-house replacements, so they didn't have to go out and spend a ton of money. So you lose Jawan Taylor, and of course, Cam Robinson's suspension, a different thing, but you have a second-round pick in Walker Little who had some good tape last year that can step in. I think now he's going to be a starter at left tackle with their first-round pick in Anton Harrison at right tackle, but you know, you lose defensive lineman on this uh you know in, in free agency um in Arden Key in Dwayne Smoot who's still unsigned but nevertheless you have depth on both the interior um and at edge I think they could add another body on the edge but nevertheless like for the first time they did not have to chase after talent because there was some gaping hole left by a departing free agent and the last piece, I mean, look, their big offseason move was at the deadline last year yeah. when they traded for Calvin Ridley. That's what it all comes down to. Yeah, maybe it took a small step back, but Calvin Ridley could make up that entire difference by himself. Yeah, that's the thing. It sort of feels in a weird way like a kind of uninspiring offseason for Jacksonville because they were certainly compared to the year ago, really quiet, you know, didn't make the kind of moves, the splashes. Their biggest move was arguably losing a starting right tackle. So it sort of feels a little bit meh, but you're right. Like the, the biggest move, the biggest addition this offseason is potentially a move that they made a year ago in getting Calvin Ridley. Ridley has the potential to be by far their best wide receiver. And you know, is still in his prime. It's not like he was left with a catastrophic injury or, you know, just spent time completely away from the game. Like, this was somebody suspended for the betting stuff and, and sort of spent his time staying ready, getting ready. Like, I don't imagine any reason why he won't come in and be the exact player that he was when he left, if not even better. So I think that could be a fantastic move for them. Don't love their draft top to bottom. Don't hate it either. Just sort of one of those ones that lands in the middle for me. Anton Harrison, uh, the guy you expect to come in and, and play right tackle for them right away, I think is a solid guy, a solid addition, uh, a really nice player on the move, uh, a really good zone blocker in particular for me. Um, love Parker Washington in the sixth round, the Penn State wide receiver. Generally, I think this was just a solid draft that, that ticked a lot of those spot areas of need for them. 
Yeah, I think it was smart of them to just take a ton of players. They're going to have an expensive roster. Trevor Lawrence at this rate <laughs> might make $60 million a year next offseason if he plays, wow. um, you know, like he did the second half of the year. So adding a ton of surplus value players. You touched on the one guy I was going to mention in Parker Washington from Penn State, who, who I do love as well. Um, and then Yasir Abdul is interesting to me. I, I was more of a Yaya Diaby guy at Louisville, but I like uh, Yasir in that you kind of have, you touched on it earlier, like readdressing a spot where, Look, I'm not comping him to Devin Lloyd, but like he can rush the passer off the edge. He kind of can play some off-ball linebacker. At least his his build is like 6-1-230. Like you just give yourself kind of versatile chess piece athletes um because you do not have a lot of obvious starting needs. Um and, you know, Brenton Strange as well. I think another um he's also a Penn State guy. Anyway, uh yeah, just uh, I think like he's hitting a lot of singles, maybe a couple doubles. Yeah. Nothing exciting, but I think that's what contending teams do, uh, and Jacksonville obviously wants to be one of those for, for a while. It's true, and you, you probably your your interpretation of those moves probably changes depending on how good the team is. You know, Jacksonville's now moving into this world for for the first time in a while of being a contender team. Maybe when you look sort of from the preseason, maybe the first time ever. Um, so I think the the kind of the reflection of these moves is going to change as Jacksonville consistently stays in that world of we're a good team now. These moves are more favorable than you're giving them credit for. But overall, that kind of analysis of their offseason has been reflected in the grading. B- minus for them, C for their free agency, B for their draft. Um, just a, a kind of solid but uninspiring offseason. Kansas City, the uh, the perennial contender, the favorite every offseason now. What did the Chiefs do this offseason? Offseason, I mean, I do appreciate that they didn't really make a ton of huge splashes. I say that because, yes, they gave Juwan Taylor a four-year $80 million contract, but they chose to do that instead of keeping Orlando Brown. So it was kind of a you know a net even move. Um, I think it was smart to bring in Donovan Smith. Yep. I never really bought the idea they were going to move uh, you know, Juwan Taylor over to left tackle. He was a right tackle at all his time in Florida in college, obviously all the time in Jacksonville. Look, I know, we, you know, A, at PFF, we don't just always defer to the league. It's kind of why we exist. But you talk to anybody in personnel going into free agency, they think Jawan Taylor could be one of the best pass-blocking tackles in all of football. I know it hasn't really showed up yet. He is super young. His pass-block grade on true pass sets was top 10 for us last year. Um, you know, overall, I think it was about top 20 just as in pass-block in general. Um, so, yeah, free agency was kind of kind of quiet. Uh, I like the addition of Charles Menehu. Yes. I think you kick him inside a good bit now on pass-rushing down. I'm on an island with this draft. I love Felix Hunter GK Azoma. We did our, uh, you know, every PFF analyst picks one player yeah. that they're higher on the consensus. He was my choice for that. Um, and then Wanya Morris also, I think, has the potential to develop into a starting tackle. Former five-star recruit, goes to Oklahoma, opposite of Anton Harrison, the guy we just talked about. You watch him play, very fluid athlete. His movement is just easy. It's not like it just seems so smooth. Like he can get better with his hand usage, I think, in space. He's not really looking to attack players. He's kind of just like getting to a spot and kind of just being idle. But if you teach some nastiness and aggressiveness into his game and you use his athletic tools he already has, um, I think he could be a really good football player. Yeah, their draft was interesting. I, I like the uh, Anadike Ozama move. I think that's a solid addition for them. I, I don't love them as much as you do, but I, I get that it's, a, it's an important spot for them. And when you sort of factor in, again, an area of need, teams addressing it multiple times, right? So for the Chiefs, you have this edge rusher, general area of need. You bring in Charles Amenahu in, in free agency. Your first-round pick goes to Anadike Ozama. And then they come back in, on day three with B.J. Thompson, this 
wild, like freakish project with who needs to put on like 20, 30 pounds of muscle, uh, even on top of what he's already put on to, but, but has like the tools to actually make an impact, like has the pass rushing ability, has the athleticism. So you've got three guys essentially coming in to try and address one area of weakness. I, I love that as an approach. Um, my single favorite move for them is probably Rasheed Rice, the second rounder wide receiver from SMU. Everybody came away with the same conclusion from his tape, which is one, I love it. And two, I don't know what to do with this. Like, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense, but everybody likes that guy. It's, it's such a, he's such a weird, unusual wide receiver. And I just love pairing that guy with Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, you know, the entire environment and ecosystem that the Chiefs currently have. He's talked about it. He's obviously been with Andy Reid going back to Philadelphia. On offense, at least, he's like, we just add athletes and just trust that Reid will put them in a position to succeed and make it work. And again, we're not buying into every lip service, but clearly um, that has been the case in Andy Reid's entire career, uh, especially in Kansas City, at, at pretty much every offensive position, including quarterback. So, yeah, I'm with you there. I think the one nitpick I would have, we're going least favorite move. I still think they need like a true nose tackle or just a an early down run stuffing type player. Um, I mean, the thing is that it, like teams don't run against them a whole lot, so I guess it's kind of something right. you can neglect because teams are going to be throwing a ton against you. But um, you know, with Chris Jones, obviously one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL, but a pure pass rusher, a guy that even kick outside of the edge at times. You know, him and Charles Menu who are not going to stop the run, or you don't want them to stop the run. Um, you know, so one thing you know they added Conjay Cobra from Texas later on in the draft. Um, but yeah, I think that's the one spot I would add a little bit more, more talent to. Yeah. I mean, if I was picking a least favorite move, the, the, just the amount of money they gave up to Juwan Taylor, I think is a little bit questionable when you could have, you know, paid Orlando Brown, when you could have gone a different direction. It just, I, I don't quite understand. I also don't understand the whole dynamic of why they even started messing with this idea of moving him to the left side, whether that was always a lie just something they were putting out there for no particularly good reason or whether it was actually a plan that they bailed on after five minutes either way the whole thing just didn't make a ton of sense to me and, and didn't feel like the best allocation of resources but overall a b grade for kansas city's offseason b plus for their free agency b minus for their draft shakes out to a b what about the las vegas raiders yeah this is my least favorite offseason in the nfl um i, I just then Garoppolo to Carr at best is an, is a lateral move. Uh, I think the narrative on Carr has gone a bit too far. Was he good last year? No. Uh, he had a top 10 grade for us from 2019 to 2021. He was top 10 in big time throw rate from 20, uh, 2019 to 2021. Um, and of course, you know, only one year last year with Devontae Adams. So before that, yeah, yeah, Darren Waller, he had Hunter Renfro, but he had a, you know, average at best offensive line and average to above average weapons. So I think you downgrade and still spend a ton of money at quarterback. Um, I think the offensive line is solid. It's better than I think we now give it credit for, but it's not special by any means. Um, and the defense, like, look, I, I like the addition of Tyree Wilson. Uh, they need another edge rusher. Chandler Jones kind of did nothing last year. Obviously, Max Crosby is, is a game record at this point, but their secondary, you know, I like to Corey and Bennett out of Maryland, but is he a starting outside corner for you at this point? I, I don't really know. Um, anyways, long answer short, like, I think they have no chance of winning their division. I'd be shocked if they make the playoffs, and they spent a lot of money to do that. Yeah, I I gotta admit, I don't. Certainly, the the veteran portion, the free agency portion, is difficult to really love uh, what the Raiders did. In part, you know, they they it's not like 
It's not like they were always headed for a need of quarterback. Like, they created the need by deciding they were going to dump Derek Carr. This was not something that was inevitably coming down the pike. They just decided, oh, no, we're going to get rid of him, bench him, you know, force him out the door, essentially, and then put themselves in a box of needing to make something happen. They, Jimmy G was the, the solution. That always felt like a move where Jimmy G's great as a bridge quarterback, but you kind of need what the real answer is long term. Um, if for no other reason than the man's injury history is is insane, the rest of the moves they made in free agency, okay, fine, they've added some players that, that should be useful. Jacoby Myers at wide receiver gives them a really nice group of receivers now. Austin Hooper, O.J. Howard coming in at tight end, those guys can help, but it's uninspiring. Um, and then it really comes down to what you thought of their draft. And, you know, we're fairly well documented as not loving Tyree Wilson generally taking him at number seven overall just feels like a huge risk to me I love Michael Mayer um in this in the second round I think that's great that's exactly where you should have been drafted I, I I there's questions of his game enough that I wouldn't have necessarily taken him in the first but at 35 that's great value um Byron Young the Alabama defensive lineman in the third round Jacorian Bennett I'm with you I like that as a pick I think he's a really good player maybe uh, plays the slot at the next level, but now you have you already have a kind of slot corner. Is is that really where you want to target? So I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I think you come out of this entire offseason just generally uninspired by the Raiders' approach. And in this world of we just lauded Indianapolis for you know ch- taking the home run swing because you know Kansas City is there, you know Cincinnati, Buffalo. These are the teams you've got to try and match. And if you're the Raiders, you know that more than anybody because you're in their division. What did this do to help? I honestly wanted to laud them with the car move if they were going to go for, hey, let's trade up and go get an Anthony Richardson right. or go up and get somebody. Again, just like Mac Jones, Jimmy Garoppolo does literally nothing for you in the AFC. Um, yeah, I love Michael Meyer too. Um, you know, I had no issue with that with that pick at all. Um, but yeah, it's just like you you have you know you're wasting the, the prime years of Devontae Adams and these these very good players you're paying a lot of money to it's just not going to do anything so a c plus overall for their offseason and pff grading and to give you an indication of the kind of curve we're working on here because a lot of nfl teams are uh you know kind of whingy um the c plus is the lowest grade i think that we gave out this offseason no it's not in fact there is one a c. c there is one a c, c out there you're right um the second lowest so, they, so they got a d i guess <laughs> yes exactly so c plus or c minus rather for their free agency moves b minus for their draft shakes out to a c plus overall uh one of our least favorite off seasons uh, across the nfl the los angeles chargers last team in the afc west their massive spending spree last offseason, which, you know, didn't go particularly great at some spots. Obviously, J.C. Jackson not coming back from the injury. So they obviously didn't do a ton in the free agency period, um, which I think made a whole lot of sense. I didn't mind anything they did. I think it was interesting that they let, um, and now I'm blanking on his name, the, the off-ball, uh, Drew Tranquil. Kind of yeah. interesting they let him walk. They did draft Diane Henley. They did sign Eric Kendricks, but I thought Tranquil was an interesting player. Um, has pass rush ability, had five sacks last year, um, has, has good coverage ability. I want to say had a high 70s coverage grade, um, but nevertheless, didn't do a whole lot. 
In the draft, I think the Cubs went chalk, which is totally fine. Like, I, I like a lot of the picks they made. Um, I mentioned Diane Hilling the third. Quentin Johnston is different than what they have. He is, you know, a good size speed combination. I think can actually get open a lot quicker than a Mike Williams can. And, you know, Keenan Allen shouldn't be kind of viewed as this like decaying player. He was actually very good when he came back last year. But, you get a kind of shifty, you know, you know, a speedier guy in a big body Quentin Johnston that will help going forward. I'm a Tui Tupelodo guy. I think he's gonna be a good player off the edge. I think you needed depth behind Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. I just again kind of wonder, not not to hold against them, but just like, do they have enough? Can they get healthy enough? Can they play well enough to actually challenge Kansas City in this division? Yeah, I think my favorite move was Eric Kendricks, the the one of the few moves they actually did make in terms of veterans. I just think a, it's a good gamble to take given his career and sort of the, the it's a buy low opportunity for him, even if he is on the decline. Um, two, I think there's some significant mileage to be had out of him adding a mentor presence to guys like Diane Henley and to um, players that are already in the building, you know, young linebackers that haven't necessarily panned out the way they would have expected. So love the Eric Hendricks move. I think you're right. Like their their draft was was just sort of hitting the fairway over and over again. They didn't do anything spectacular, didn't dislike, I think, any of the picks, really. Uh, didn't love any of them either. I think Quentin Johnson at 21, right kind of range for him, even with the question marks we had about his game. I guess if I was picking a least favorite pick, it would be Max Duggan in the seventh round, which is essentially an inconsequential move anyway. But like, when you go through Quentin Johnson's tape, it's like, why Why would you draft his quarterback? Like, that That can't – it's not helping. Like Quentin Johnson had to add a third TCU player because Darius Davis, who who is going to be a return guy, um, probably take over. Um, you know, you know, in that role for them. But yeah, they had to add another TCU yeah. horn frog. They, they didn't watch the national championship game, I don't think. Right, or maybe you just you know decide that those two need you know need a little bit of a help uh, adjusting, and you bring in their quarterback for for giggles. Exactly. But you watch their tape, yep, good. and it's like yeah. <laughs> I would not want their quarterback in this building. That's not helping anything. So A minus for the Chargers, B for their free agency, uh, quiet free agency, and then A minus for that draft that was pretty much middle of the road. What about the other Los Angeles team, the Rams? I have to applaud with as aggressive as they were in building this thing up, they were equally as aggressive in tearing <laughs> it down. And I hate teams that kind of waffle in the middle and, and do the quote-unquote competitive rebuild and all yeah. that nonsense. Either be terrible or or try to be very good. So uh, I do commend the, the Rams for kind of ripping the Band-Aid off and – you know, moving on from a lot of players like Leonard Floyd's still a good player in the NFL, still not signed for some reason. Um, but just look, he's not gonna, you don't want to spend 15 plus whatever million dollars it was on him. Um, if you want to move on from Jalen Ramsey, which it sounds like they kind of have for a while now, just go ahead and do it. Obviously, did not love the trade value there, getting a third round pick and a backup tight end in Hunter Long, but nevertheless, they knew they needed to start over and they did it very, very aggressively. It, it'll suit them going forward. Um, so I have to commend them for that. Yeah, I I'm I kind of wonder whether they needed to do certainly trade away Jalen Ramsey. Like I understand last season unspooled in a hurry. I still think the Rams could be put back together quite quickly, especially in the NFC when you don't have the same concerns that we talked about of, you know, god, look at this landscape. Like how are we ever going to beat all these other teams? You look at the NFC and it's like, all right, all we need to do is to make an NFC championship game where we face either Philadelphia or San Francisco, presumably that's doable. You know, we don't even need to be great to do that because we're probably only going to need to win like one consequential game before we get into the Super Bowl. So a team like the Rams that have been there already, 
and have, you know, Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup and Jalen Ramsey and, and um, Matthew Stafford, like you could see that happening reasonably quickly. I don't know that I would have traded away Jalen Ramsey to, to start that whole process. But I agree with you. If you're going to do it, let's go. Let's get it going. Um, I really like their draft. Like this was obviously an, uh, a, a, an interesting draft because they didn't have the first round pick again. They picked 36 overall, then 77 to 89. Um, and they've start, They've got some. They got a lot of players that I think will actually contribute and you know make useful impacts on this roster. Steve Avila, the TCU guard with their first pick, 36 overall, will start. I would assume Byron Young, the edge rusher from Tennessee. Should be a, a real contributor. It has insane athleticism and just hustle and, and can absolutely make some plays. Kobe Turner, they are the third-round pick, an interior guy. Nick Hampton was, I think, both mine and Steve's um, sleeper, edge rusher, a guy they got in the fifth. I, Trey Tomlinson in the sixth round is one of the steals of the draft. Like They got a lot of players in this draft for relative to where they were picking and how many times. Yeah, no, totally agree. I like Puka Nakua where they got him as well. Um, I do think it's a good class. I actually like Kobe Turner. You mentioned uh, a good bit on the interior. I think he fits well with Aaron Donald. Um, the one pick that, I mean, just makes no sense to me is Stetson Bennett. But you know what? You know, I guess get a, get a quarterback on the roster. Get another Georgia boy in there behind Matthew Stafford. But, yeah, just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me there. Stetson Bennett, I think you ha- if you buy into this, like, Stetson Bennett is a baller, moxie type of thing. You just fall in love with that dude. And I, I genuinely think the Rams just love that guy. Like today it came out or yesterday that in like seven years of Georgia or whatever, the, the guy still hasn't graduated yet. I, I don't I, I like him more for that. I think that's better. Like somehow he spent like a decade in college and is still, you know, hasn't any got, hasn't got himself graduated. That guy is just laser focused on outperforming everybody's expectations and winning titles. And I want that. I want that guy on my team. Rams used a fourth round pick on Alex Moran from Blue Mountain State is what you're saying. Yes. That's a, you know, a reference for those who get it. And, and yeah, I mean, I guess if it, if it works, it works. That's exactly what Stetson Bennett is. Except Alex Moran, you know, with some actual arm talent and stuff. Like, that's who I want. I, I want Stetson Fair. Bennett on the team. That's, I, I have no problem with that pick whatsoever. But you, you fold that in with all the other ones that I think make genuine impacts year one. Um, I think this is a really good draft. So, overall, what do we give it? An A- for their draft, a C for their relatively quiet uh, free agency that actually involved hemorrhaging players more than signing them. And that shakes out to a B-grade overall for their offseason. Um, Miami. Miami Dolphins. I did a phenomenal offseason, again, given the resources they had available to them. Um, I mean, again, I, I mentioned before, but Vic Fangio is just a massive, massive you know, addition here. And then... Um, obviously, Jalen Ramsey, which I think will be interesting. I think I could see him go back to that star role, do a lot of different things. It sounds like Cam Smith, their second rounder out of South Carolina, could also play in the slot. Obviously, Xavier Howard will be on the outside, but I think underrated, bringing a guy like a Sean Elliott on the back end to add more safety depth alongside the Javon Holland and Brandon Jones of the world. Like This defense is really, really good. David Long, the off-ball linebacker, I thought was going to get a much bigger contract. I think maybe some injuries there. Not entirely sure, but... Um, yeah, I mean, the offensive line was the big question mark. And then this past week, they go out and get Isaiah Wynn. Obviously, did not play well last year. I think he's been dealing with one of a handful of injuries, which does, of course, does not go away magically. But I love that move because you probably let him tr- compete to start at right tackle. If Toronto Armstead misses time, which is 
a near certainty at this point in his career, you can have Isaiah Wynn kick back over and at least be, you know, replacement level or slightly above, you know, left tackle play. So they did pretty well here. And then lastly, you know, Devin A. Chain, I think is just a perfect fit for this offense. Obviously track star speed, four, three, two, 40, um, you know, fits in this wide zone, just one cut and just get up field in a hurry. They're going to be a whole lot of fun and down in Miami. Yeah, they didn't pick very many times in the draft, just four picks, I think. But I like the players that they got. Cam Smith in the second round, I think, is really good value. Devin A. Chain, the, the speed that they're just continuing to add to this offense. Um, if you're only going to pick a few times, I think they did well in terms of the players that they selected. But they made a lot of sneaky um positive moves in the sort of veteran portion of free agency. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey being the the highlight real move, but number one, uh, Vic Fangio coaching this level of talent on that defense has the potential to do genuinely special things. When you look at the talent that they've amassed, particularly in the secondary, it's outstanding. The defensive line is already good, but there's a few players that they brought in, I think, that, that can have uh, really useful impacts as well. Quietly you know, we, we Tua is now reaching this point where obviously he's your starter, but he's at least a risk in terms of injuries with the concussion history from last year. Mike White is one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL at this point. Every time he's come in for the Jets, he's given that excitement that maybe he could be the starter. And, and unfortunately, got injured himself last year and didn't get a chance to capitalize on any opportunity that was there. But Mike White being brought in to A, make the Jets worse, and B, um, Add a, a legit backup to the Tua situation, I think, is a, a really sneaky move as well. Maybe my favorite move they made this offseason. Oh, it's a good shout. It is, it is a very, very important position in the NFL that more and more teams are understanding that and realizing that, yeah, if Matt Milano didn't rip his ribs off in like a comic book fashion tackle, uh, you know, he, he probably would have had a good run there for, for the Jets. So, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, uh, the Tua thing is obviously going to be scary. It's going to be um, something we're monitoring on a week-to-week basis. But if he does stay healthy, th- this team should be very, very competitive. Yeah, both sides of the ball um, has a potential to be really good next year. B-plus overall was our grade for their offseason. A, for their for a veteran version, the free agency, largely driven by the Jalen Ramsey acquisition, and then a B-minus for their draft with just a few draft picks. Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota was interesting. You know, they obviously had to shed a little bit. We knew that was coming. We talked about uh, Eric Hendricks going over to to the Los Angeles Chargers. I think it was smart of them to, you know, try to get a deal done with Adam Thielen and the money he got from Carolina, like I mentioned, I'm probably not paying that amount. So um, I think both parties just kind of, you know, got what they wanted there. Um, trading Zadarius Smith became palatable once you bring in a Marcus Davenport. Uh, so it all worked out there. Um, you know, I think Byron Murphy with the inside-outside flex at corner with all the young cornerbacks they have in the building already. Uh, and then, of course, you add in Makai Blackman, who I know some people at PFF are super high on out of USC. Um, they're interesting. To me, they also have a very wide range. Like, I could see them win the division, frankly, and hold off Detroit and win it again. I could see them win, like, six, seven games if maybe Jordan Addison can't be a legit number two right out of the gate. And I like K.J. Osborne, but I don't think he's that caliber of player quite yet. Um, and the defense is just, I think they were a bottom five defense last year, and I'm not certain they're not going to be a bottom 10 or so this year. So, yeah, the, the range is super, super wide for Minnesota this year. You talked earlier about hating those teams that embrace that concept of competitive rebuild. To me, the Vikings embody that at the moment. And I'm kind of in the same boat you are. I'm like, look, the, if you're stuck in average, you're stuck. Are, are they a team that actually is just okay with that. Like, as long as we're there, thereabouts every year, we're fine. Like, this is the goal from an ownership point of view 
yeah, if we can win a Super Bowl, that would be fantastic. But the point is, just don't suck. Like, suck is bad. Suck is where you stop selling tickets. Suck is where nobody's interested in the team. Just don't stink, and we're fine until we get, you know, X years of consecutive don't stink, and then we have to fire some people. But that realistically is the goal. It is. And again, like, obviously, we as fans of a sport, you know, never want to say that's what we want. But look, they are top 10 in revenue in the state of Minnesota. They were number one in the NFLPA report card. Like, they're a phenomenally well-run business and organization. I'm not just saying this because I was there as intern for a little (laughs) bit. Like, it's evident. It's obvious. It's clear. It's apparent. And so... I think what comes with that is like a kind of a high floor, but yeah, you also look at their record and they go between seven to 10 wins. I think every year for the last like decade, but you know, rarely, I guess last year, obviously they get, you know, kind of the outlier win total, but it was, you know, an extremely fluky one with 11, one score wins. So I will say this to give them credit, at least they haven't extended Kirk cousins yet. Maybe this hey, it's one last ride. Yeah. He's in the last year of his contract, but we're not going to extend him. And then we can kind of tear things down. Um, you know, it is tough. It's kind of purgatory-ish, but it's it does it does make a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sort of fascinated by them specifically as a team that like I there are owners out there that don't want to invest in the team, that don't want to put money into it, that don't that that are happy with the tax write-off and just making the money, right? And you saw that with the NFLPA report card. These teams that are down there and they're down there for a reason. Like it's specific because they don't want to apply that money into it. It's it's a money-making exercise. And then there are teams that do have owners that genuinely want to invest in that kind of stuff that doesn't necessarily pay you back but is good for your team it, it helps you win or it helps the it helps your players morale it makes you a more attractive destination all those kinds of things the vikings have ownership that clearly wants to be at the top of that kind of thing they want to be the best franchise out there for people to want to play for which you th- would assume equates to wanting to win championships and you know wanting to be the patriots essentially over the last 20 years but it never gets there because of something. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, is that, a, is that some decisions that come down from ownership in terms of extending players that have been good to the team and these kinds of things? Like, what is it that locks the Vikings into this kind of world of being trapped in average? And generally, when you look at this offseason, I like their draft more than I like their free agency. Their free agency felt like more of the same, right? Where, okay, we're going to trade away Zadarius Smith to dump the contract, and we bring in Marcus Davenport. Like Maybe that's an upgrade, but it's probably not. Um, Byron Murphy, sure, that's fine, but it's an addition that's sort of, it's not catapulting you in a different direction given the corners they lost in the offseason. Generally, their they're sort of free agent um, moves, their free agent approach felt like a lot of the same treading water. Um, I did quite like their draft, though. In particular, you know, some of the players that they drafted were just guys that I was much higher on than other people. So I think Jordan Addison was the best wide receiver in this draft. I thought that all the way through the process. I think getting him in that situation with Justin Jefferson already there, he can immediately be an impact player for them. Makai Blackman, as you said, was a guy that some people at PFF loved. I was one of them. That guy had elite tape. He had some fantastic play last season. He could be a, a real player for them in the secondary. And then, okay, the rest of it, um, the next few picks are probably likely to make much smaller of an impact. But then seventh round, uh, Dwayne McBride, the running back, that dude could be a huge part of this team if they end up trading away or, or more likely maybe releasing Dalvin Cook in the next month or so, like Dwayne McBride could find himself being 50% of that backfield. 
he's going to be a fun like dynasty pick and like late round best ball guy. Look, the, we don't know if he can pass catch because they didn't even try at UAB, but right. the dude can run um, in an outside zone system. Yeah, it could be a perfect marriage there. Um, yeah, no, I, I think to the larger like question you asked there is like. The simple answer really is just that this in this sport, if you don't nail it at quarterback, like your ceiling is capped. And that that I think has been their story. If anything, it's kind of impressive. They've consistently been a fringe playoff team. And I, yeah, we're probably too hard on Kirk. I mean, he grades well, but we know his ceiling is not super duper high. If this team, if this organization got a Trevor Lawrence type prospect at any point, I think you could expect some great, great things from them for for a long time. Yeah, and it it is maybe different in the NFC, but Cousins is is emblematic of that. Like, you can't, you're not going to win with Kirk Cousins. You're just not. And maybe you would have, you know, maybe the argument is different ten years ago. But now, now in this landscape of all the quarterbacks out there, it's your Kirk Cousins is not taking you on that run. And even like maybe less than ten years ago, like 2017 was when they made that move, coming off that NFC Championship game. And they're like, Kirk Cousins is the guy that can put together a run that takes us beyond, you know, these other teams. I, I just don't think that's true anymore. Like, Kirk Cousins is not capable of the kind of run that's going to take you past the teams that you're going to need to get past sequentially to win a championship now. So you have to pivot. And maybe they are. Like, maybe they're, they're reaching that stage now, which is why they haven't re-upped them again um, and going to go in a different direction. So overall, this offseason – Minnesota Vikings with another B plus, A minus for their free agency, B minus for their draft. I think I'd flip that personally, but that's the uh, the way PFF came down. What about the New England Patriots? Another team that's kind of trapped in this world of good quarterback, not great. I know it's tough because I actually like their offseason. Um, I think both both components of their offseason for free agency didn't you know we went kind of more back to the Patriots of all where they weren't aggressive spenders but I think um you know replacing uh Jacoby Myers with Juju Smith-Schuster for a bit of a cheaper contract I think most of that tied to injuries um, but I do think Juju is kind of on par a similarly talented player um a willing blocker a guy that I think will you know will fit in this offense um the super interesting one Mike Kosicki obviously cannot block and doesn't even really want to block but <laughs> If any coach can find a way to use him, you know, as kind of a move tight end and do, do different things with him, they obviously trade away Jonu Smith um, and I think kind of bring in, you know, not really the same player. He's not really going to be used like an H-back, but I guess maybe he could. Um, anyway, their draft I, I liked a lot. I know it's it's a draft that some people didn't love. I have uh, record uh, infatuated with Christian Gonzalez. I think he is a massive addition for the secondary now. I like bringing back Jonathan Jones in free agency. It was a bit rich, but they gave him, especially when you look at the free agent market. But now that he's not going to be relied upon as much, maybe even goes back into the slot a little bit because Gonzalez becomes your number one outside dog corner. Um, Keon White, just like you mentioned earlier with Hannon Hooker, I was like, why is anyone talking about him in the first round? That makes no sense to me, but I don't mind him at 46th overall much at all. I think he's inside-outside flex. They needed more for interior pass rush beyond Christian Barmore, who was hurt most of last year, but I think White's an intriguing player. Like, I think it's, again, like, their offensive line, a bunch of bunch of additions, bunch of players that I'm sure will become above average guards, whatever. But their floor, I think, again, is going to be high. Their defense, I think, yeah. will dominate bad quarterbacks, struggle a little bit against good quarterbacks. And the offense is going to be a middle-tier offense. It's just tough. Like, my guy, Billy B, I want him to have one more run. I just don't see you know that happening anytime soon. You're right. Their, their free agency 
it's a lot it's exactly like classic patriots free agencies of old and it's just the narrative changes right it's what we were it's the reverse of what we were talking about with the jags which is the patriots are no longer kind of perennial contenders so we don't look at these moves as oh look at that classic patriots move like how do we keep letting them do this they bring in like calvin anderson riley reef these are guys that could absolutely uh, contribute on that offensive line. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster is a solid addition. James Robinson has big talent uh, in the backfield for a guy that's been injured a lot. Trace McSorley at quarterback is a bizarre one. I would love somebody to sit down one day and just tease out what Bill Belichick actually covers when it comes to the quarterback position because there never seems to be any rhyme or reason to the players that he selects or brings in uh, at that position. There's no, like thread that links them all together it appears to just be random players and random skill sets but then you get the draft and I I mean I Christian Gonzalez I was lower on than a lot of people but him landing in New England is the perfect spot for him to go like that's just for for any coach to get the potential that's there in terms of his athleticism and his movement skills Belichick is that guy same kind of story for Keon White so their first two picks I think are phenomenal additions for a defensive-minded coach and then the rest of the draft was classic Patriot stuff it's like we have a couple of positions to hit let's just hammer a few spots and and hope something sticks so you know another offseason that just feels solid like we gave it a B plus overall B minus for free agency A minus for the draft it's a good free agent or a good uh, offseason for them yeah no just like you said it, it painted in a different light we love it but we just know that there's just not you know Tom Brady and Mac Jones not the same guy right uh, New Orleans Saints, what do we think of their offseason? Another one that I, I wasn't in love with, and it's not the classic, like, oh, they can't keep getting away with this. Like, the cap is real. Like, it's not even that. It's like they're in the worst division of football. Um, Derek Carr is better than any Dalton, but would I give him, um, you know, I think basically worked out to about $100 million over three years, I think is kind of the true contract there. Um like there are pieces to like. I think the receiving core is going to be much improved w- with a ideally healthy Michael Thomas and now a really good young player in Chris Olave. Um, you obviously add Foster Moreau to Juwan Ju- Johnson. Like you have good pieces there, but for me, the defensive line is still a massive question mark. Um, you know, they went Brian Brissy and uh, Isaiah Foskey in the first and second round for a reason. Those guys are probably going to play more than they realistically should out of the gate. Look, they're probably going to win the division. I, I like. I wish I had no. Pro- I love the Saints. I, you know, I live down there. It's just like. I just it's just not to me like a sustainable approach if you wanna again, you wanna shoot the moon and be very good. Um like if they were in the AFC, like we'd be, we'd probably be mocking this even more. Right. They just happen to be in the worst division of football. And that's the thing. I think because they are, this is the one I don't think it's even a competitive rebuild. I think it's like we have different targets than other people. Like this is one team where they actually think we can take a relatively uh, relatively sort of average approach at this and still win. Like, we, we bring in Derek Carr. Sure, Derek Carr is not going to do any good against, you know, the best quarterbacks in the NFL, the best teams in the NFL, but he's good enough to win this bad division, and that makes us look good for a year or two while we figure out what the actual approach is going to be. So I, I, I don't hate the Derek Carr addition. I think it, given where they were of not having an answer, I think that makes as much sense as anything else they could have done um, and was always a fairly natural meshing of, of player and team. I think they added a couple of interesting players, Jamal Williams, Nathan Shepard, that, that could make contributions. Um, and then you get to their their draft, which is always, with New Orleans, driven by acute, immediate needs. So Brian Brzee, Isaiah Foskey, 
Um, both guys, obviously, as you say, will play an awful lot year one. The question is, what can they actually produce year one? Brzee in particular, you know, is, is a bit of a project given his tape, given his uh, sort of college career thus far. Hasn't really hit the, the heights of what he could become. Needs some work to realize that uh, disruptive potential I think that he does have. But he's going to get a lot of playing time year one. And it's like, look, well, the draft, I will say, they were, I uh, didn't trade up quite as much as they normally do. I, I do like bringing in Nick Saldaveri. They need guard depth, but that goes to, look, you, you, you use first round picks on Cesar Ruiz and Peyton Turner. You decline Ruiz's option. They might keep him around on a cheaper deal. Peyton Turner barely even plays. Um, they didn't even have good edge players last year outside of Cam Jordan, Granderson, and, and Marcus Davenport went healthy, and Peyton Turner still wasn't really getting minutes. So it's like, you always hear, oh, they're better at drafting than everyone else. Like, you know what? On a pick-per-pick -pick basis, the last five years, yeah, they have been. But we look at the history of the NFL. That is not a sustainable thing that lasts, you know, longer than a five-year window. Right. And so, again, like, they'll probably win the division. They'll probably lose in the first round of the playoffs. I do think, you know, getting back to incentives and all that, the ownership wants the, the Saints fans to have a team to cheer for that is a playoff contender every single year, which they can, will continue to be. Um, it's just like if you want to compete for Super Bowls, I just think you're making it you know, harder and harder and harder to do that every time you do this. So a C-plus grade overall for us that's tied with the Raiders for the second worst mark we gave out this offseason. C for their free agency, B-minus for their draft. Uh, New York Giants. Yeah, Giants are an interesting one. Um, you know, they obviously paid a handful of players, you know, most notably Daniel Jones. Um, internally, you, you get the franchise tag to Saquon Barkley. Uh, you still do go out and make that splash trade for Darren Waller at tight end, which I think gives them a very interesting combo uh, with Cody Bellinger. Uh, Cody Bellinger, that's the baseball player. Um, whatever Daniel. first name Bellinger is on the New York Giants. Um, and that's the Cubs fan of me speaking. Um, and, and Darren Waller, like, they have a lot of interesting pieces there. Um, but... They're just, they're just, there's something that leads to be desired. Like the, the secondary is, has some question marks outside of Adoree Jackson. Um, the offensive line still to me is kind of Andrew Thomas and a handful of question marks. We'll obviously see if we get growth from, you know, young players, top 10 picks in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, like they're going to regress a bit in some areas from last year. And again, I think they're, uh, you know, a playoff ish team, a wild card ish team. Um, I'm just not sure if, you know, I don't know. I would have franchise tagged Daniel Jones and saw what we had. Now they're they're kind of pot committed. Yeah, I agree. Um, I love the Darren Waller trade. That's probably my favorite move they made this offseason. I understand the risk attached to him, but I think given where they are, it's, it's a risk well worth taking. I'm with you. I, I think Daniel Jones was tailor-made for a franchise tag. It's, it's exactly the kind of – it's a reason it exists, right? It's like we don't quite know. Let's give this guy a franchise tag. Let's see how it goes and, and deal with it down the line. They didn't. They went the, a different route to give them more spending flexibility, I guess. But it's not like they pumped that money into a bunch of places where you're like, okay, I understand why you wanted all that flexibility. And then it comes down to the draft. I think they did have a good draft. They were another team that their first two picks unfolded in a way where their second rounder was the player that a lot of people were giving them in the first round. John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota. If they'd taken him in the 20s, nobody would have had a problem with it. It would have been fine. Instead, they get him in the second round, so that can only look like great value. Um, Deontay Banks, the corner in the first round, exactly the right type of player for this defensive system, a guy that specializes in man coverage, you know, mirror skills off the line, movement, all that kind of stuff. 
Jalen Hyatt, the Tennessee wide receiver in the third, is a, a fascinating player to add. Just the the deep speed, the big playability, but a guy that hasn't really done it outside of being in the slot off the line of scrimmage. So it's really going to come down to what those three guys primarily can do uh, for this team in the first couple of years. I do love Deontay Banks. So I guess I shouldn't have said question marks besides Dory Jackson. Yes, he's a rookie, but I think he's going to be a stud. And like you said, I think all three of their first picks probably got mocked in the first round to them at various times throughout the offseason by various outlets. But um, the big thing for me is in a Wink Martindale defense as well, you have one edge rusher that I have a, a modicum of faith in, in Kayvon Thibodeau. I like Aziz Odalari. He can't really stay healthy. Um, O'Shane Simenez can't really stay healthy. Like, you need uh, when he wants to blitz 60 percent that's too high whatever when he wants to blitz as often as he does like <laughs> he got to rotate bodies and they you know the interior is great obviously but they need more on the edge as well yeah it's not it's not dramatically too high for uh for wing yeah. martindale like this is in the kind of ballpark um so overall we gave the new york giants an a for the offseason a b for their free agency an a plus for their draft one of the best grades uh, of anybody, well, the, tied for the best grade of anybody. Uh, what about the Jets, crosstown rivals? Look, I mean, it, when you had to get the quarterback and, and had to make that splash, um, you 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 fought off Las Vegas and whoever else was potentially in that market. Uh, you go out and get Aaron Aaron Rodgers. You know, we did say that the, the Packers won that trade. I think we agree on that. Not only the picks, but also the Jets inheriting the entirety um, of the about $110 million he's owed over the next two years, um, which is obviously a little bit scary for a you know a 40-year-old quarterback. But you know what? You had a phenomenal roster at every other spot. I think with below replacement-level play quarterback last year, you were still a fringe playoff team in a gauntlet AFC. Yeah. Um, and then I know you love him. I love him too. I think Will McDonald's a stud. I think he's going to make an impact early on in his NFL career. Interesting because he's different. He's a smaller guy, um, but he's springy. He, he's just his spin move is vicious and quick. Um, and playing alongside Quinn Williams and John Franklin Myers and Carl Lawson and all these dudes. Um, I mean, their defensive line depth is, is honestly comical. I didn't mention Bryce Huff and, like, all these guys yeah. they have. Um, you know, Tipman in the second, again, a guy that was, you know, viewed as a fringe first-round guy, you know, has center guard flexibility. So I like their offseason. Yes, they signed a bunch of, you know, Aaron Rodgers' allegedly non-existent wish list players, maybe to more than they were probably worth. But I do think, you know, if if everything works out with Rodgers and, and the chemistry and all that, like, on paper, this is a contending roster. Absolutely. I mean, I love that they went out and got Aaron Rodgers. And if they didn't blink first in the trade negotiations, you know, they'd stuck to their guns and they'd, they'd played chicken and they'd won the thing. Like, I think they could have gotten that deal done for cheaper and I would have it would have been my favorite move they made because I, I think you have to go do that, right? You're the Jets. You have this really good team. The quarterback thing was a disaster with Zach Wilson. You've got to go do something big. And Rodgers was the big thing to go out and do. Um, and once he sort of said, yeah, I want to go play for the Jets, well, now you have the leverage to kind of sit there and just eventually wait, and Green Bay's got to give them up for whatever you, you, you want to give them. They didn't. They kind of blinked early, and they had to give up more than I think they should have. But generally, I love the move to go get him. I, we posted this before, and everyone was giving me all kinds of crap that one of the, my favorite pick was Will McDonald. Um, and, a, you know, favorite as distinct from best – because, look, I, you got to acknowledge that the consensus draft board had him as like a fringe first rounder, and instead he goes in the middle of the first round. Now, I think, A, I like him more the than the consensus, which is just 
a point to note, not that my you know, opinion is worth more than the consensus, just obviously I will therefore have a more favorable disposition on the pick than that. But also, again, in this draft specifically, the middle of the first round was when you were going to start reading things differently because I think the difference between player number 16 and player number 30 and 45 on different boards is going to be all over the place in this specific draft. So in a normal year, you look at that data and you say, wow, reaching 15 spots for a player at the, the middle of the first round is a bad thing, right? Generally, those don't work out. I suspect this draft will look different. Like if we analyze this in five years' time compared with the sort of general rules, I think it's going to look differently. So I don't hate that they reach for him um, at that spot. And as I say, I'm with you. I love the player. And I think in this defense, like he can do special things. I think, yeah, I mean, I love making a strength a bigger strength. I, I, I love when teams just ignore, like, you know, quote-unquote needs and all that. Like, their defensive line is silly. And then I'll say this. Urban Meyer did, I think, exactly one positive thing his entire NFL tenure. The rest was staunchly negative. But him admitting, I think it's never happened before, probably will never happen again, him admitting the Jaguars wanted Kadarius Tony and didn't get him and therefore just sell out. Look at the Jets were going to take Broderick Jones, okay? Like, that was going to happen. That was their guy. When that didn't happen, they pivoted to a McDonald. I know they've already said in a press conference, no, we were taking him no matter what. No, you weren't. That's okay. And I get why you're not going to say that on a podium, but I have no issue with the pick itself. Um, Yeah, I think he's going to be a good player. Um, So B overall for the New York Jets, B uh, free agency, B minus for their draft. On to the Eagles. Those darn Eagles, man. I mean, I mean, the rich get richer. Uh, I think a great offseason. Look, you knew they were going to lose talent in free agency. It was uh, unavoidable. I want to say nine defensive starters uh, were pending free agents. If you just go by, you know, total snaps played. I will say this. I, I like that they retained all the guys they did, but they did kind of pay the, like, vibes and veteran leadership tax on arguably <laughs> all of them. Look, I love Darius Slay. I love James Bradbury. $10 million for Fletcher Cox. You're paying for a guy who's been a Philadelphia Eagle for his career. Mm. Brandon Graham, fine deal. The, the value there is fine. He's still a stud. But anyway, um, I mean, they, look, the, the safety situation is interesting. They obviously trade up for Sidney Brown. Uh, you bring in the Edmund, the other Edmonds brother and Terrell Edmonds. They should still be fine. Like if, For a reigning Super Bowl loser to not really get much worse than any noticeable spot um, in free agency, and then, yeah, I mean, they knocked the draft out of the park. Um, I think not even just their first two picks in the first round, but um, I mentioned Sidney Brown in the third. Safety, I think, is one of the better safeties in this class. Vanderbilt alumni Tyler Steen, um, I think, maybe even competes to be the starting right guard um, with tackle flexibility down the road, potentially. Um, another, you know, Georgia guy in Keely Ringo. Even Moro Ajomo, some more interior defensive line depth. I mean, Philly, you know, they're, they're a contender every year or, or most years uh, for a reason. Yeah, their free agency was largely about retaining players that were scheduled to hit free agency, and they brought back a lot more of those than I thought they were going to. So I think that makes it a win. And then, yeah, they had one of the best drafts out there. Nolan Smith being there at 30 is insane. Somehow stumbling into Jalen Carter by just sitting there and not really doing anything and just letting people (laughs) let that happen to you, having to jump up one spot, obviously, to snag him. That's crazy. I mean, we're talking about legitimately the best talent in the draft on the field. They get him at nine. They then get Nolan Smith later on. Keely Ringo in the fourth round, I think, is a steal. Um, Another one of those players where fringe first rounder don't really get that, but fourth is absolutely worth that kind of roll of the dice. And Sidney Brown, as you say, one of the better drafts out there. In fact, we gave it an A+. We gave their free agency uh, an A or a B+. 
overall, the whole thing shook out to an A grade, one of the best off seasons of any team out there. What about the other Pennsylvania team, Pittsburgh? I think they had a phenomenal offseason as well. So, so starting in free agency, they don't tend to spend a ton, but I think the last couple off seasons, whether it's because the regime changed to Omar Khan, or I think more likely because they now have the rookie contract quarterback, not the you know bloated Ben Roethlisberger contract. Um, I love bringing Isaac Sumalo. Uh, the Steelers hired Andy Weidel to be their assistant GM. He was in Philly. So you bring Isaac Sumalo aboard. Um, even Nick Herbig, is, or Nate Herbig, excuse me. Uh, they, I guess they have both Herbigs yeah. now. Um, underrated guard depth. Um, as well, and the offensive line was the big issue there. So all of those moves, they have the interior starting wise and depth wise is very solid. And then Broderick Jones was my favorite tackle in the class. Kind of like you said with Will McDonald, that doesn't mean a whole lot when I say that, but it is is a fact nonetheless. Um, I think he's a special athlete in space for his size. I mentioned with Paris Johnson, I do think Broderick Jones is going to face some big body defensive ends. They're going to bull him over as a rookie, um, but he will improve in that area. Um, and then I just look, Joey Porter Jr. to start the second round. I love Keanu Benton. I think he has positional flexibility to play behind Larry Ogunjobi and Cam Hayward on this defensive line. Um, let me just go to the list. Darnell Washington, I guess, fell because of medicals, but you get an extra blocker. You have 12 personnel packages with Pat Fryermuth. Um, you know, Nick Herbig, the other Herbig is a good, you know, kind of smaller rusher i think pittsburgh Steelers had a phenomenal offseason they really did like you look at um exactly what they've done and in free agency i like a lot of the moves that they've made they nailed it pretty much across the board not necessarily any insane splash moves but say amalo was a really big addition as you mentioned um trading for alan robinson is one of those perfect gambles that's absolutely worth rolling the dice to see if you can you don't have to wind the clock back that far to find Allen Robinson playing, you know, incredibly good football. This this time a year ago, the hype was out of this world in terms of what Robinson would do for the Rams, and it just it didn't happen. So love that as a roll of the dice. Um, Cole Holcomb at linebacker should upgrade what they've had the last couple of years there. They had a really good uh, free agency period. And then you look at their draft. I mean, it was an A-plus grade by us, one of the best drafts of any teams out there. Broderick Jones, Joey Porter Jr., I love as a pick. I think he can be better than people expect him to be. I think he's more versatile as well, not simply this press man corner or nothing else. Darnell Washington, another one of these guys where first round didn't really understand it. Third round, 93 overall, that's insane. Like he lasted way longer than he should have, even for a guy that you know loved him less than other people. Nick Herbig in the fourth round, uh, another uh, sibling added to this team. They have both Haywards as well. Uh, yeah, Steelers absolutely nailed this offseason we gave them an a overall uh b plus for free agency a plus for their draft absolutely fantastic san francisco 49ers yeah so this is our, our lowest grade of the offseason i'll tease that out before we get started we mentioned that a little bit earlier look in free agency again um you know a team that wasn't gonna be able to do a ton they did a credit to them making a strength a bigger strength we just mentioned robert sala with new york his former team going out and adding javon hargrave to this interior um look they got bullied uh, against philadelphia up the middle if it wasn't um you know eric armstead they were just running right at javon kinlaw yeah. right at whoever was there um and obviously hargrave is more of a pass rusher but you know they, you know, is a three-down player on the interior. So their defensive line should still be nasty. My issue with their free agency is I commend them for not chasing Michael McGlinchey at that price, but their right tackle situation is now like Colton McKivitz and uh, a recent draft pick whose name's now escaping me. Like, 
they've had some NFL experience. They've graded in like the 40s and 50s. Um, obviously, Kyle Shanahan has rotated some players in um, and protects them in his system, and those guys end up doing very well. So maybe he thinks he can do that again. Um, but yeah, and the draft obviously didn't have a lot of draft capital and spent a third round pick on a kicker uh, in Michigan's Jake Moody. So so that obviously did not go over super well uh, in the PFF offices. Yeah, and and not even just the right tackle spot. When you look along that offensive line, okay, Kyle Shanahan's system is offensive line friendly. They tend to look good within his offense, but that line has the ability to unspool pretty quickly. Like that thing could go south in a hurry and be a problem. And it's something nobody's really talking about. I mean, we, I mean, we, we, I did it earlier, right? We talk about the 49ers as being kind of unquestioned NFC contenders, even with the quarterback situation being up in the air. We expect them to be the closest competitors to the Eagles. But, like, it would take an injury, maybe one. It, it, would, it might not even take that. This offensive line could just everybody hits the low end of their range of outcomes, and all of a sudden we're talking about one of the lower-performing groups in the NFL – um, so, yeah, the, the Mike McGlinchey thing, letting him walk is a risk. I agree with you. It, it was a number they should have walked away from. But you have to sort of at least have eyes on what that could mean if it goes south. Uh, their moves generally in, in the offseason, yeah, Javon Hargrave was the big uh, flag move, the big uh, gaudy addition. But Cleveland Farrell, um, despite his career so far, is an okay player. Like he Obviously, he didn't justify number four overall, but as a free agent addition for not much money, great move. Sam Darnold could end up starting for them, and in, in Kyle Shanahan's offense, you would expect him to perform pretty well. So their free agency, I think, was solid enough. It's the draft that's the problem. And yeah, we did not like this draft at all. They reached relative to the consensus board, let alone the PFF big board, at almost every single position, a kicker in the third round when you actually had needs that you needed to address. This just felt like a just a bad draft. It really did. That's the thing, like you mentioned, like you could have added a guard that honestly could have maybe had a legitimate impact on 2023. You probably could have added a defensive back. They did get Jair Brown, who I think is a solid player out of Penn State, um, but you could have added a corner potentially in this range. Obviously, it was a deep class. I'm sure Cameron Latu's consensus number was low. I think he's a solid player at Alabama, but but yeah, like it's just they, they kind of viewed it as, eh, it's all luxury. Who cares? And it's like, no, you actually have some, some holes on this roster. Right. They were an intriguing team because they had that run of what three picks in in four at the end of the third round, where like, you're still in the range where you can add players that that have real impacts, and instead they just they they just didn't. Um, so the 49ers end up with a C. The single lowest grade we gave out this offseason. A B-plus for their free agency and a C-minus for their draft, which I assume is also the worst grade we gave out for the draft. Not an offseason we loved. All right, four teams we got left to get through. Seattle Seahawks. Seattle's offseason I absolutely loved uh, in both facets. So starting with the free agency cycle, uh, to get Geno Smith to come back for a deal that at floor is actually less than a franchise tag, and we talked about Daniel Jones a little bit, the, the worst-case outcome, I guess, for Geno, but probably for both parties, um, is one year about $28 million. It is a realistic possibility for this deal. So you get a guy to commit to three years, which is probably the, the shelf life of his career at this point, um, but from a cash flow standpoint and a guarantee standpoint, um, protects you as a team. And I think he is um, still a pretty good quarterback in this league. So you do that. You go out, you get Draymond Jones. They needed more pass rush wherever they were going to get it on the edge, on the interior. didn't matter. And he obviously was a big ticket player that a lot of player teams were after. Um, and then pivoted to the draft. I mean, 
I'll just mention the first round. I mean, getting the consensus number one corner, a guy that I know you are in love with in Devon Witherspoon, mm-hmm. um, and, and then getting my number one receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think outside corner opposite of Tariq Woolen was kind of, we shouldn't be surprised by this pick. I was surprised by this pick. We probably shouldn't be. They brought back Michael Jackson on a minimum contract. He's a restricted free agent. Um, And then JSN, man. I mean, Tyler Lockett is still going to be good for a couple more years, but you now have him and DK Metcalf for the long haul. You can touch on the rest, but I I just think their big flashy moves were, were awesome. No, I, I, this is, again, one of the better off-seasons out there. Um, the moves that they made in free agency were quiet, understated, but I think good. Um, Draymond Jones, Julian Love, friend of the show from the uh, the Super Bowl, comes into that secondary. Um, they, Devin Bush has not been a good NFL player so far, but I think is a, a solid reclamation project. And again, you bring back Bobby Wagner for that sort of mentor role, see what he can uh, do there, and if you can get anything more out of Devin Bush than we've seen so far. But you're right, it all comes down to the draft and the Geno Smith uh, re-signing for that moderate amount of money. This draft was just absolutely insane. Witherspoon, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, you could stop there and it would be a good draft. Charbonnet was a uh, pick that raised some eyebrows given what they already had in Kenneth Walker, but Charbonnet is a fantastic player in the second round, 52 overall, their fourth pick. This is a lot like what we said with the Jets a year ago. You know, when you've already made those picks that you've made, Charbonnet as your fourth selection is fine. Um, and then some of the other players that they brought in, like this is, I think this is a really, really good draft, one of the better ones out there. And, you know, a team that wasn't expected to be good last year is actually in a really good situation heading into 2023. I think the crazy thing, too, is we were nitpicking or not, didn't like their starters. I, again, they actually now have some solid depth, too, where I, I like Derek Hall. I think I was higher on him than a lot of people, but I think he's a perfect fit as kind of a stand-up outside linebacker for Seattle. Um, you have Boye Mafe. You probably want to extend Uchenna Wosu before the season starts. Um, you know, Darrell Taylor, we'll see what he is at this point. But, like, you can, again, you can rotate bodies. Um, even, like, a Mike Morris out of Michigan did fall, didn't test very well. I almost think he might become kind of like the backup five-tech to a Draymond Jones, but um, you know those guys, Oluwatimi, the, the center from Michigan, I want to say, might even start at this point. Like they they went from a team that we didn't like at all to not only right. we like their starters at a lot of spots, but I actually think they have some solid depth as well. No, I agree. They've had a fantastic offseason. We agree. We gave them an A overall, A minus for free agency, A for their draft. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, life in the post Brady era. You know, what's funny is that they quietly had a pretty good offseason. I think we're all going to be down on them because quarterback is going to be Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask. <laughs> I assume Baker Mayfield. Um, and I think we should be down on them for, for that reason alone. Um, also, you know, I think Todd Bowles is a good defensive coach, but I think we kind of saw last year just game management and stuff like that is not exactly his forte. Um, you know, they did fire Byron Leftwich and bring in Dave Canales, kind of an unknown from Seattle. I, you know, I don't know what that means. I obviously don't have you know don't know anything about the guy, but but maybe you know could be an upgrade from going run run pass on every single series you have. Yeah. Um, as for free agency, you know, largely sat it out, lost a lot of you know kind of older players that you know Akeem Hicks and you know guys that weren't making a substantial impact. I actually love their drafts. Um, the first like four or five picks, not even just kind of the you know Klaja Kansi flashy. I mean, Cody Mock could come in and maybe start at guard. And then I was way too high on Yaya Diaby out of Louisville. I think I mentioned him earlier. He's a freakish athlete who plays every snap like his hair is on fire. I think they'll have fun kind of moving him around a bit. So, look, the ceiling's not that high because you're going from Tom Brady to, to Baker Mayfield. 
but they kind of treaded water pretty well for a roster that still does have a lot of talent on it. It does. It's a classic, like, this was the the sort of dilemma we were talking about earlier in the offseason, which is, okay, you lose Tom Brady, are you going to be able to talk yourself out of this kind of competitive rebuild world where actually, you know, we can still be good, the team's really good, or we just don't have the quarterback? And they, they sort of feel like they've done exactly that, which is they've approached this exactly as you would if you had a quarterback, and they don't. So... You know, now you're hearing like Bruce Arians say, oh, Baker Mayfield was a better graded prospect than anybody from the 2023 draft, which may be true, but, you know, we've seen some bad from Baker Mayfield since then that might make you reassess that opinion of him as a prospect. And I, I kind of with you, like, I think in a vacuum, the offseason has been good. It's just you don't have an answer at quarterback because I'm, I'm out on Baker Mayfield. Like his last defender is pretty much – thrown in the towel at this point so you know Matt Filer is a solid uh, offensive line depth kind of addition Baker Mayfield is fine to add to the quarterback room but you probably don't want him starting Ryan Neal was fantastic at safety um, I, it's a good addition and then I'm with you I, I really like their draft Kalijah Kansi to me is a top 10 player in this draft they get him at 19 Cody Mock Yaya Diaby these are good players that should contribute Trey Palmer in the sixth round has insane blazing speed and a skill set that doesn't typically last to the sixth round. Now, I think there are reasons he did, but it's still a great gamble to take at that spot. And then uh, Jose Ramirez, as an edge-rushing prospect, is a really good addition as a sixth-round flyer as well. So generally love their offseason. It just it's, you can't sort of ignore the elephant in the room, which is right now Baker Mayfield is probably your starting quarterback, and that's bad. Kind of a pro- getting points for process. Yeah. I, I respect that they took all their lumps from the dead cap standpoint. Obviously, they pushed a bunch of void years on a million contracts, pushed everything down the line. Instead of spreading that out, they just took all their lumps. About seventy-five to eighty million dollars um, this year is is going to players not on the roster. That's over a third of the entire cap. But if it does pan out and Mike Evans stays stays healthy, stays young, whatever, maybe in twenty twenty four they can be back quicker than we, than we expected. And I know I just said I jumped off the bandwagon, but there is also this world where Baker Mayfield plays more like the good years in Cleveland than everything else in his career. You know, it is possible. Like, we've seen it in the NFL. It's not like we're just talking about college priors with this guy. We have seen high-level play from Baker in the NFL, albeit quite a while ago, and multiple teams in the past at this point. So, who knows? Uh, B-plus was what we gave the tennis or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers overall. B for their free agency. A-minus. For their draft, shakes out to a B-plus. Tennessee Titans. I respect new general manager Rand Carthon coming in, and I'm sure Vrabel was not wholly in favor, but just tearing this whole thing down. I mean, they just, they had to. Credit to them. They were competitive for longer than a lot of us expected. I mentioned Jim Schwartzer, the new, the new Browns defensive coordinator, got a ton of production out of their, their defensive line. Um, their offensive line is probably still the worst in the NFL, even after adding probably the safest player in this entire class in Peter Skaronsky. You know, Andre Dillard, does he play left tackle? Does Skaronsky play right tackle? Does he play left guard? Like, who really knows? Um, anyway, I, I respect, you know, cutting Bud Dupree, cutting all the guys they moved on from, and just kind of starting fresh. The big thing for me is, do you pay Ryan Tannehill $27 million to not really compete, or do you just hand over the reins to Will Levis, save a bunch of money, and really get ready for next year? I think the reason why the answer is is Tannehill might be because the offensive line and receiving core together is maybe the worst in the NFL. Yeah. 
No, it absolutely is. That offensive line is still a problem. Um, I like a lot of the moves that they made. Maybe my favorite move is Arden Key, who's become a really good situational pass rusher at the NFL level, having come in as one of those long, uh, lightweight guys that typically really struggles to transition. But he's a really good player to add to that defense. Um, I generally, yeah, I like that their offseason across the board. I think from free agents' point of view, they've added some significant players. Um, and then the draft they had a really good draft. Like, they were a team that they could have drafted Will Levis at number 11. Nobody would have batted an eyelid. It would have made perfect sense. Instead, they don't. They wait. They get Peter Skoronsky, who, as you say, is is one of the safest players. The only question is where you play him. Um, and then they're the team that ends up being able to get Will Levis at the top of the second round, which is the perfect kind of spot for him where you're not a day one starter at that point, right? You, you've got the cover that you can leave it for a while. But he's high enough that you're still invested in him and there's still a pathway that you're going to succeed Ryan Tannehill down the line. You're not drafting him in the third or the fourth where you're like, we're probably, this, he's probably not the answer anyway. It's right in that sort of perfect zone where it makes sense for both sides. Taji Spears in the third round, I really love as a player. I would maybe question, you know, in the third round, 81 overall, could they have selected a wide receiver? Could they have selected an offensive lineman again? Probably. So you can maybe quibble about smart allocation of resources but generally speaking i think that was a really good draft yeah i like the late picks too jalen duncan it doesn't have enough sand in the pants like needs to get a little bit bigger but i thought he was a good athlete moving around um you know on, on his tape so yeah because they because they got to add offensive line um and then josh wiley i think is a good fit alongside my, my hero chigaconquo in tennessee so they have a lot of fun exciting young players it's just a like receiver edge corner and offensive line yeah. are like years away. So there's not really a lot of reason to think they're going to be good immediately, but you know, maybe in 2025 they, they could figure things out. Yeah, I think definitely they made a lot of good moves, but there's still some major holes in this roster. So overall, we gave it a B, a C for their free agency, an A for that draft, which we really liked a lot. Brings us on to the final team in this marathon podcast, the Washington Commanders. Yep, uh, almost like three hours at this point. Thanks for hanging with us. So, yeah, to the Washington Commanders, <laughs> I mean, look, their offseason off was interesting. We we wondered if they were going to get into the quarterback conversation, whether that was Aaron Rodgers, probably wouldn't have gone there. But, like, you know, made some sort of move. I like Jacoby Brissett. I, I keep half-jokingly say he's going to be the starter. Um, it does seem like it's going to be Sam Howell after all. Um, look, I mean, they kind of they didn't really do a whole lot for the last two off seasons. Now they've kind of sat out free agency for the most part, um, which is again not, not a problem. I like their draft class. I think Emmanuel Forbes um, is going to be able to add weight. He had just had a remarkable ball production at Mississippi State in the SEC against very very good players. Um, I like Quan Martin or Jatavius Martin, um, you know, the, another defensive back who might be their like slot nickel guy. He he kind of. I don't know. Kendall Fuller can be moved around a bunch more now, and you can do different things in the back end. Long answer short, I think they might have the best defense in the NFL, or they could, by the end of the season. The question becomes, wow. how much does that actually matter? Um, you know, if the offense, which has a good receiving core, has an average offensive line, um, you know, obviously bring in Andrew Wiley, bringing in a new offensive play caller, um, you know, you know, an Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City could help. It's just like, they're just, are they going to be for the, oh, I don't know, nth year in a row, a really good roster, except for one position that happens to be quarterback? So I, I like, I want to give them credit for the bold move at quarterback that just looks different to the bold moves that we usually applaud. So Carolina, right? No quarterback, no quarterback answer. 
Let's go trade up to number one. We get our guy. Great. Outstanding. Love it. Bold move. Fantastic. Washington are basically doing the same thing just with a guy that's on the roster already. They're going, no, Sam Howell is the guy. We saw enough in 20-something dropbacks last year and a bit of you know, practice footage. We believe in Sam Howell. And, you know, Ron Rivera was on this podcast of the Combine saying, hey, if you go back a year, Sam Howell was like supposed to be the number one overall pick. And then he ends up sliding to the fifth round. Like, we believe in his talent. And Jacoby Brissett is exactly the quarterback you bring in if that's true, which is no, he's nobody's plan A, right? Nobody wants Jacoby Brissett to be their starter unless things have gone wrong. But he's also more than capable enough where if the Sam Howell thing completely falls apart, you, you're not turning to nobody. You can actually win games with Jacoby Brissett. And he's, you know, the veteran presence, the, the sort of the good guy for the room to, to have with Sam Howell. So I, I, I think there's credit to Washington for – going with something that <laughs> they could be interpreted as crazy. Like, what the hell are you doing starting Sam Howell? That looks ridiculous. But, you know, there's, there's logic behind it. I think there's, there's reasons to believe that Sam Howell could actually be a good quarterback going forward. He did look good in the 20-something dropbacks we saw of him. Like, it's not completely beyond the realms of possibility. Their free agency, I think, added some solid players. Um, Brissett, we already talked about. Cody Barton, at linebacker. Andrew Wiley on the offensive line. Cameron Dancer has been a bit over the, all over the place in the NFL, but you know has some talented cornerback. And then you know the draft that they had, given that approach of we're not in the quarterback market, I think they added some, some interesting players there as well. Obviously headlined by Emmanuel Forbes, that same sort of outlier of 166 pounds at corner, which is concerning but his tape is legit i think he was 172 at his pro day so he's it's slightly less concerning as, as time goes on um but yeah i mean the tape is really really good and, and again like we talk about the skinny guys like his frame looks like a guy who could add weight it just isn't there right now yeah so look i hear you and i think ron is true like we we do have these swing narratives where he was getting mocked you know sam howell that is first overall and then he does somehow fall you know into the fifth round maybe he is you know, uh, a solid player and you save a ton of money and then can be, you know, relatively competitive. It's just right. like, I keep falling in this trap every year where, like, I love their roster at so many spots. I don't know what they're supposed to do because they're always picking it literally like the 13 to 18 range every single year. But, um, you know, I, I just feel like they have the potential to be really, really good if they had a quarterback. And Sam Howell, in addition to the 20-something dropbacks in the regular season, the dude dominated the preseason game that he started, you know, late 70-something snaps or whatever that was, the, the preseason week two or three or whatever it is, the one where, like, nobody plays. So the worst possible level of competition you can have in the NFL. He did look really good there. The other thing is it's also um, – you know, in this world where rookie contracts for quarterbacks are obviously cheat codes, like the difference in a rookie contract between Bryce Young at number one overall and Sam Howell in the fifth round, like it's, it's almost like a whole separate world of cheat code. Like they're basically paying him nothing. So if he actually can be a viable quarterback, the amount of extra money that gives them is madness. Yeah, no, 110%. Then then you are in the market of you can add any player to any other position you, you want to. Yeah, Bryce Young's going to make $40 million over his rookie deal. He's probably going to make $4 million over his rookie deal. Right. Um, so overall, that shook out to a B, B grade for their offseason, B for both free agency and the draft. And that has been the Marathon Monster podcast uh, grading every NFL team's offseason. How are you doing, Brad? Are you still alive? Are you still survived?
still still alive over here. I think we yeah we powered through it. We're both pretty long winded folks, but I think we did all right. I think the uh, the guy that ran the original marathon, you know, back in ancient Greece, died at the end of it. So if we're not back, you know, on uh, tomorrow's podcast, that's why. You know, one one or other or both of us just keeled over at the end of this marathon, two and a half hour beast. But uh, yeah, thank you all for sticking with us. Uh, I believe Steve is back tomorrow. I shall confirm that. Either way, we will be back as a podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks very much, Brad, and thank you all for listening.